was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men. It's a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years. is uh, Benjamin Leonardo Jacobs and I am the owner and creator of Subliminal Message Studios. What we do here is fight the New World Order and expose the secret societies using historical knowledge and Christian values that I believe we should all hold dear to one another. Thank you. Revelation 6. The scripture describes what is going to happen. And the people screamed and they cried and they cried to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the orgay, the wrath of God and of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath is coming. Who shall be able to stand? He's talking about Armageddon. He's talking about the great judgment that is coming upon the earth unless we repent of our sins and turn to God. The coming, the storm clouds gathering, the lightning flashing, the thunder roaring. Die. 
thank you very much for joining me and uh, let's begin guys uh, so yesterday we were going over the um, uh, U of Valde shooting, uh, giving you guys some updates on that. It's all come out that the um, police at the time uh, did have rifles uh, during the shooting while the children were getting uh, crisscrossed uh, like applesauce. And including uh, they did have uh, a shield, a at least one police shield during the time at the shooting as well. But uh, uh, the chief of police that ordered the stand down, uh, it's uh, coming out that he resigned from his uh, position of authority. He's resigned from city council and he is uh, not speaking to any other investigation source or the parents. The only source or the only investigation uh, people that he is speaking to is coming from the Department of Justice. And um, yesterday it came out with some very bombshell breaking news that the mayor, uh, is stating that he believes there's a cover-up going on with the Department of Justice right now in the state of Texas involving the Uvalde shooting. Uh, what we do know for a fact is there are at least uh, two different uh, elite Vortec teams that engaged the Uvalde shooting uh, prior to him entering into the school. What we know now is the uh, woman that stated uh, she was the last one that um, shut the door. What we now know is she was told to leave the door open. She is not stating uh, who uh, told her to do that, but um, she's obviously we can't find her. She's not making any more statements after she first made the statement that she said, um, I was the uh, one that closed the door and I thought the door locked uh, because there are witnesses that um, heard the shooting and saw the shooting happen and yelled to the school attendant to close their door. And, uh, it's now coming out that um, she was told to leave it open. And what's, uh, um, what's even more bombshell than that is the actual mayor of Uvalde stating that he believes the Department of Justice is involved in a cover-up. Uh, very, very, very um, uh, sad to see how many children lost their lives and the parents that lost their lives at the time. Uh, and, but it also shows the mass formulation psychosis. With this information coming out, the people seem to not take that seriously. They don't want to stand outside and write about it. You know, the Department of Justice is covering up the death of children right now. You know, we have no riots going on about that. We have no protests going on about that. We have no uh, tweets, no social media sorrows, only uh, political views on gun reform, uh, on abortion. And it's just, um, it's, a, it's a shame, but it really, really shows on uh, the brainwashing that we are under, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that the mayor of Uvalde is stating he believes that the Department of Justice is covering up what actually happened. And the, only, and the chief of police that ordered the stand down, the only pe person that he is speaking to is the Department of Justice. There are other investigation sources, other investigations that are going on right now, private investigations by uh, parents, and they're getting stonewalled by the Department of Justice. They're asking them about these, uh, this elite Vortec team. And no, I will not leave this alone. The Department of Justice is involved in a cover-up out in Uvalde, Texas, where 19 children were slaughtered. And everyone is going to blame it on the gun. I'm not going to let that happen. Uh, another thing that we're um, uh, going over was uh, four more uh, officials out of Boris Johnson uh, cabinet have resigned. That makes a total uh, of uh, over 60, I believe 65 to be exact of uh, candidates that have resigned, citing uh, basically the same things, uh, unethical reasons, um, 
uh, he was partying while he was locking everyone down and impoverishing his own country. And uh, if uh, the United Kingdom seemed to think that they're going to be in better uh, position with the new prime minister that's going to get elected, well, um, you can hear from Subliminal Message Studios right here, right now, they're going to lead you straight into World War III. So uh, we are also uh, going over, the, of course, the Georgia Guidestones uh, being blown up, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I hear a lot of conflicting views, but I do want to get to this uh, video for you guys real quick, if I may. Uh, I'm operating both screens, so if I take a little bit, just give me a little time. That's amazing. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, so the Georgia Guidestones um, have been brought down, um, and uh, I've been seeing all over social media, a lot of people have uh, different conflicting views. The, the left side is just using it to radicalize the right side, and as far as I can see on um, uh, right-wing platforms, we're all arguing about it, which blows my mind. You know, um, uh, what I mean by a lot of people have conflicted views, um, a lot of people think that... Um, <clears throat> this is a, a true sign of symbolism uh, to the New World Order, to the globalists and, and the leaders that uh, are in control of this world right now, uh, that we uh, are, we know what you're up to and uh, you will not win. Uh, other people are taking it as a, another sign of symbolism, meaning other people think that it was wrong and, it, and the Georgia Guidestones uh, should have stayed up. Uh, so we can show our children um, what we were going through after we have won this uh, war. Uh, right now, we are in a, another phase of the battle. Um, my view, personally, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I said it on. I made a statement on Twitter about it. Uh, I believe uh, my view, whether they are blown up or whether they should have been blown up or whether they shouldn't have been, I believe whether or not it, it, it is moot. In my opinion, it does not matter. My opinion in that because whether I like it or not is it's already happened. Um, Whoever that person was obviously uh, planned it and was very skilled, uh, or at least uh, skilled, uh, made sure that no one else got hurt. Um, I am very thankful for that, obviously, but um, I believe that the, 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 the argument that we are creating amongst ourselves is actually moot. It does not matter whether or not uh, we believe it should have happened. It did. Well, what does matter is uh, the left is going to use this to radicalize everyone to looking at the right. So what we do know is they're going to use it for, you know, radical extremists, you know, radical Republicans is what they're, you know, radical gun owners and all this and that, you know, radical militias, you know what I'm saying? That's what we do know is the left is going to use that for. So I believe if you'd ask my opinion involving that matter, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and this is just me speaking in general, but um, I, I think that, uh, what we need to do is focus on the situation at hand because like I said, it does not matter uh, whether it happened or not because it did. It's out of our control now. Um, what we can do is stay focused, continue to inform people, continue to um, make sure everyone knows, you know, what, what's going on at hand. And uh, today, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I want to get this uh, next clip up for you guys. 
Um, today, guys, I want to cover the Gisley Maxwell case, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein Island uh, uh, debacle. Uh, the media is not paying very close attention to it. Um, if you are not familiar with the Jeffrey Epstein case, ladies and gentlemen, let me just uh, break it down. To, uh, break it down to you. So, Jeffrey Epstein was a financier. He uh, had very high ties to a lot of high up celebrities, uh, politicians, and uh, royalty. Um, he was uh, arrested on July 2019 on child child trafficking charges, sex trafficking, and conspiracy to engage in sex trafficking. Now, he was denied bail ahead of his trial, and um, Epstein um, hung himself in jail. Now, um, I'm going to give you a little uh, factote that the mainstream media will not tell you guys about. It's a little factote that only a few of us know. The guard specifically that was uh, in charge of guarding his cell, um, you know, coincidentally, uh, you know, uh, went and took a piss, and when he came back, that's when they found Jeffrey Epstein hung, his, hung in his cell. Now, in July 2020, his girlfriend and longtime associate, Ghislaine Maxwell, was arrested on charges relating to Epstein's sex trafficking operation. She was found guilty of five out of six charges, and in June of 2022, she was sentenced to 20 years in prison. That is... Um, um, uh, not what we're going to really focus on. Um, uh, if you're a first-time listener, ladies and gentlemen, usually during the first and second hour, you, we usually always like to go back in the past. And one specific story I'm going to be covering, um, I was waiting to cover it until this matter. If you don't know what's going on with the Gisley Maxwell case, I'm going to give you a little short spiel again. So the Gisley Maxwell case has been sealed. Um, the new uh, testimony that she has given out um, involving different um, uh, different um, politicians, involving other associates that were um, visiting the island of Jeffrey Epstein, um, a lot of people are already throwing out the conspiracy theories that it's uh, involving our um, uh, President uh, Joe uh, Poop in his pants, uh, Biden. Uh, what I, if you'd ask my opinion on that, I believe it's much more than that. Um, whether or not our president, um, whether or not the Supreme Court judge is sealing the case now because he needs to protect the president at hand. I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's involving a uh, chief of police and states. I think it's involving um, very high up judges that are in operation right now. Um, uh, I think it's involving a lot more than just uh, the president at hand, which is the nature and the reason for why um, uh, the Supreme Court judge cited national security and sealed the case, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this short little quick uh, clip for you guys, and um, then we'll come back to it. Elaine Maxwell is going to be sentenced today in Manhattan Federal Court. She was found guilty of helping Jeffrey Epstein abuse girls between 1994 and 2004. Prosecutors are asking for up to 55 years in prison. Yeah, she was involved in a lot more than that, ladies and gentlemen, which is why I want to bring this uh, case from a while, uh, a while ago back up. Because I honestly believe that if we look at this case now, we're going we're gonna to look at it in an entirely, an entirely different, um, different light, if you will, ladies and gentlemen. What, what case am I referring to? Excuse me. I'm uh, trying to get this uh, set up for you guys, this other clip I want to go to. I'm sorry, uh, the Franklin cover-up, uh, the conspiracy of silence, ladies and gentlemen. 
And um, this is involving uh, Lawrence Larry King, uh, the Boys Town Foundation, and other and other very very high up um, politicians during the 1980s and uh, 1990s, and well into the 2000s. And once again, I I'm bringing this back up because I really really think the significance of this case from what it was then and then now. I think we can re uh, re. Um, I think judges should actually go back into the actual case and start digging back into it uh, in light of the new evidence of what's going on at um, uh, what was going on at uh, the Jeffrey Epstein Island, ladies and gentlemen. But um, uh, before we get to that, I have one more clip that I want to play for you guys. And, I, and this is just, uh, they name off just a few of the people that were supposedly at uh, Jeffrey Epstein's uh, island. One of them is actually, um, one of them has came out to be President Donald Trump. And just real quick, um, I don't know why, whenever you're a, a, a uh, a right winger. I'm just going to stick with the general marginalization, right? Um, but whenever you uh, seem to be a, a, a right winger, um, everyone thinks you immediately vote for President Trump. Uh, I'm going to give you my honest opinion of what I think about President Trump. Um, I think President Trump did very, very great things when he was in presidency, especially when it came to standing up to the oligarchs and the elitists of this world, especially when it came to, it comes to the car companies. Um, now, I do believe because of the divisiveness that came out after he was, uh, you know, after he, uh, after his presidency term ended, uh, if he was to run again, I would not vote for him again. Not because I don't think he's, uh, excuse me, uh, not because I don't think he's uh, capable of doing uh, uh, of great things and standing up to the elites that much more. But I truly do believe that even if he was to get back into office, everything he would be doing would get turned inward and become more of uh, more pollution and more uh, more pollution in the mind for the men and women all across America. And that's like I said, that's not to say he's not capable of doing uh, good things while he's in office. There's a reason why the elites were very, very, very scared of President Trump is because he didn't need their money. And uh, that's a heavy statement right there. You know what I mean? He did not need their money. Uh, but um, I'm going to stay on cue. I want, like I said, I want to um, uh, share this clip with you guys real quick. So let's go to that. Powerful politicians in the country, including Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, flew aboard Epstein's private plane. The pilot, Larry Vysotsky, said that he was given a notice in advance if Clinton or other high-profile passengers would be aboard. He also named Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. Maine Senator George Mitchell, Ohio Senator John Glenn, and the actor Kevin Spacey as passengers aboard the so-called Lolita Express. Clinton's spokesman previously admitted the former president had flown on Epstein's plane four times, but he said that the former president knew nothing about Epstein's crimes. The part of course he did, ladies and gentlemen. Of course he, he knew nothing. I knew nothing of Epstein's crimes. What the hell, mate? What are you talking about? I wasn't on that island, you know, gizzling it with little children. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, now let me get back on a uh, get, get back on topic, and uh, just like I said, the reason why I'm uh, getting back into history, and I, I do this with every single one of my podcasts, where I started off usually with something in the past because I am a firm believer that if we forget our past. We are doomed to repeat it, ladies and gentlemen. So the Franken cover-up, the conspiracy of silence. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Nebraska has a very clear statute that child abuse allegations should be reported to authorities. They shouldn't be reported to the principal of the school, director of a facility. They should be reported directly to either Child Protective Services or law enforcement. An internal investigation at Boys Town would have no status. I mean, in other words, that evidence collected may be something that could augment, but it certainly could not take the place of an investigation, a criminal investigation. This all starts off with, according to Paul Bonacci, Larry King used boys as young as 10 years old as sex toys at a bizarre pedophilic parties. Bonacci says that from 1978 through 1982, he was one of those victims. He recalled there were several groups of boys involved in crews that King organized and supplied to wealthy elitists under names such as Bodies by God for teenage boys and the Golden Boys for children that were under the age of 10. The claims were sounding so outrageous at that time because at that time, uh, these claims were almost unheard of. The mainstream, mainstream uh, media would never bring this up. And, and mainstream and main, the main populace of America had no idea of this, uh, these type of uh, sex trafficking organizations happening among our political atmosphere, ladies and gentlemen. But I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, uh, it goes well, well before 1986. I want you guys just to look up the Kittler experiment after this podcast, and I was actually thinking about um, uh, doing a Pacific podcast solely focused on the Kittler experiment. Let me know what you guys think. So um, uh, one of the first accusers uh, was Alicia Lisa Washington. She had a similar claim against him earlier that year. And uh, this, these, these accusations, uh, these were the first time uh, uh, King has been accused of uh, this type, this type of pedophilic behavior, King had uh, King had been dodged by accusations of pedophilia before, and uh, like I stated before, one of the first accusers was Alicia Lisa Washington. She had similar claims against him earlier that year, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm going to backtrack and uh, uh, go back in a time just a little bit and give you guys some uh, a little story about the founding of Boys Town. Now, Boys Town was founded in 1917 in Douglas County, Nebraska, by Catholic priest Edward J. Flanagan. The project started as a home for orphans, abandoned, neglected, and abused boys and girls. News of Flanagan's humanitarian project spread worldwide and even spawned a 1938 movie, Boys Town, starring a rowdy young Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy, who won an Academy Award for his portrayal of Father Flanagan. The Foster's Home popularity brings in so much money that they now and well have over $500 million just in reserves. And uh, that money has uh, well tripled since then. Now, a lot of that money at the time, however, passed through uh, Omaha, Omaha's Larry King's possession as a means uh, supposedly of, uh, of holding it uh, for safety. Now, if you don't know or uh, remember Larry King, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you a little backstory on Larry King as well. Lawrence Larry King uh, was the leader of the Black Republican Council at the time in the 1980s. He was one of the fastest rising stars in the Republican Party, and uh, King was brought to Omaha to save a failing credit institution, Franklin Federal Credit Union. And it was his possession at the Franklin Federal Union that led to his close ties with Boys Town. Boys Town held quite a few valuable accounts in King's Bank. 
And uh, as an act of goodwill during this time, Larry King employed many of the Boys Town boys where they took minor roles cleaning up the bank, shuffling through files, uh, toting records about um, uh, toting uh, paper records, sorting through them, uh, filing them out in the cabinets. Uh, the community recognized that many boys at the bank as King's contribution to the city. Thus, a pillar of the community brought, was brought to his knees during the 1986 trials. Really, uh Getting back into uh, um, Alicia, Alicia, Lisa Washington's statements, Alicia had been adopted by King's relatives, Jarrett and Barbara Webb, in the 1970s. Now, her case came to the forefront in 1985 after it was noticed that she continually ran away from her foster's parents. Initially reluctant to disclose information at the time of her foster's parents' endowments, she finally reaccounted a remarkable tale, telling authorities that her time with the webs was fraught with pain and neglect. And those of us that didn't like to be involved and didn't want to be involved were threatened. According to Alicia, she and her other adopted children living with the webs were routinely beaten. She also says that at the age of 10 years old, Jarrett Webb began sexually molesting her. Now, the Nebraska Department of Social Services took Alicia's case, and it became the center of investigation for Andrea L. Carnier, who couldn't help but notice how many times Boys Town came up in Alicia's testimony. To to ensure her honesty, Alicia was given a polygraph test and passed with flying colors. Now, um, according uh, uh, to um, uh, according to Nick Bryant, um, in separate uh, in separate interviews, the Webb's adopted children flooded Nebraska's Department of Social Services personnel with bone chilling and anecdotes of horrific abuse. Now, Alicia says the abuse did not end with her adopted father. Supported by her sister, she detailed a massive child sex homosexual and pornographic ring that was run in Nebraska by Larry King and other very high up politicians, including some of the board members of Omaha World Herald. She described how she was regularly taken to Washington by plane with other youths to attend parties hosted by Larry King. She explained that the parties involved many prominent people, including businessmen and politicians. Now she told she wasn't the first to be sent out of the state for a pedophilic-like party, ladies and gentlemen. These are one of her quotes. And I'm going to get to a lot of her quotes and some of the actual quotes that are in um, uh, the court case itself. So you guys, you know, um, I don't have to be called conspiracy theorists about any of this and all this and that. Like I said, I, I want to get to this because I really, really think that this case, if we go back and if we, if we remember this case now with what we know about what's going on in the Jeffrey Epstein case, and uh, what we know, uh, what we know, at least uh, the unsealed documents that's come out of the Gisley Maxwell testimonies, then I really, really think that we can look at this in a brand new light. Now, this is one of her quotes. The web said I was going out of town for the weekend. Not going wasn't even a choice. 
I would have gotten beaten. We didn't have choices. We did what we were told to do. One of the two trips I was on, Boys Town kids were on the planes. The boys knew they were going to be used for sex. But it didn't bother them because they were being lavish and taken care of with clothes and lavish money and lifestyles and access to cars. And I want, and I want to say the parties were elegant, champagne was served, the older men were wealthy and dressed very nicely, and money was heavily exchanged between the older men and the younger older boys, especially the boys that were under 10. And the men would leave with the boys. Now, years later, a 50-page handwritten uh, report penned by Department of Social Service worker Julia Walters surfaced and documented Alicia's accusations in horrific detail. 325-86 met with Kathleen Sorensen and Lisa for about two hours in Blair, Nebraska, questioning Lisa for more details about sexual abuse. Lisa admitted to being used as a prostitute by Larry King when she was on trips with his family. She started going on trips when she was in 10th grade. Besides herself and Larry, there was also Mrs. King, their son, Prince, and two to three couples. They traveled in Larry's private plane. Lisa said that at these trip parties, which Larry hosted, she sat naked, looking pretty and innocent, and guests could engage in any sexual activity that they would choose or wanted with her. Lisa said she first met VP George Bush at the Republican convention that Larry King sang the national anthem at and saw him again at a Washington, D.C. party that Larry hosted. At the party, Lisa saw no woman. The polygraph test, which Lisa took only centered around sexual abuse, showed that she was endowed telling the truth, showed that she not only told the truth, but she passed the test with flying colors. At the time, she had said general, thank, general things about Larry's trips. She only began talking about her involvement in prostitution during those trips on 325-86. Lisa also accompanied Mr. and Mrs. King and Prince on trips to Chicago, New York, and Washington, D.C., beginning when she was 15 years old. She missed 22 days of school almost totally due to these trips. Lisa was taken along on these pretense of being Prince's babysitter. Last year, she met VP George Bush and saw him again at one of the parties Larry gave while on a Washington, D.C. trip. At some of the parties, there are just men. 
and basically nothing but older men and younger men in their early 20s Lisa said she was seen she has she had seen several accounts of sodomy between young boys and older men between the ages of 10 and up and 10 and younger at these parties Lisa said every guest had a bodyguard and she saw some of the men wearing guns all guests had to produce a card which was run through a machine to verify who the guest was in fact who they said they were and then each guest was first down before entering into the party no the bodyguards were allowed in there with their guns she indicated in September through October of 1984 when Washington was for when uh, Lisa was 14 or 15 years of age she went on a trip to Chicago with Larry King and 15 to 20 boys from Omaha she flew to Chicago on a private plane the plane was large and had rows of two seats apiece on either side of the interior middle aisle. She indicated that King got the boys from Boys Town and the boys worked for him. She stated that Rod Evans and two other boys with the last name of Evans were on the plane and she could not recall the names of the other boys. Now the boys who flew to Chicago with Washington and King were between the ages of 15 and 18. Most of the boys were black but some of them were white. She was shown a color photograph of a boy and identified one of the boys as being one of the boys on the plane, and she could not recall that little child's name. Now, she also indicated that she was coerced to going on to the trip by Barbara Webb. She attended a Barbie uh, party in Chicago with King and the male use where George Bush was indeed present. She sat at a table at the party while wearing nothing but a nothing but a I guess it would be an old school thong, apparently. Um, she stated that George Bush saw her on the table. She stated that she saw George Bush pay King money and that Bush left the party with an 18-year-old black boy named Brent. Yeah, uh, and it gets deeper than that, ladies and gentlemen. Now, after the horrifying allegations, the children were being abused at Boys Town. The police were, of course, notified they reportedly put little faith in the accusations, however, and rather than launch uh, an official investigation into these accusations, they notified the Boys Town School officials. Unfortunately, the news was not delivered to all officials, but rather was sent directly and solely to the head of Boys Town, Father Val Petiri. Father uh, Val uh, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Val Peter, would later claim that he carried out his own investigation but found no evidence of abuse, according to him. But, of course, we can all trust the Catholic Church when it comes to not touching little boys, right? According to him, the victims, uh, the victims refused to talk. As a result, Larry King re remained free. And according to victims, continuing to preying on the young boys from Boys Town. Now, in 1988, a routine review by the Nebraska State Foster Care Review Board revealed something unusual. According to State Foster Care Review Board Director Carol Stitt, the information presented to the Foster Care Review Board, either via the telephone reports, the personal reports, or the reports we reviewed, Larry King's name was consistently present as someone the youth were making allegations against. Now, Sut did dig further and found an astonishing list of prominent individuals who were reported to be involved in the abuse of these children. Sut turned the information over to the authorities, but to her disdain, Nothing happened. Instead, Stutz says after she uncovered the suspicious activity, 
she began receiving threats and death threats. She recalls one call placed directly to her home the night before she testified before the Nebraska Legislative Committee, in which the caller bluntly told her, if you speak, you won't live to regret it. Um, yeah. And um, uh, just to let you know, guys, um, uh, uh, this was involving um, the Omaha World Herald owners. Uh, I'm not stating that um, uh, Berkshire, not all the Berkshire Hathaway um, committee members were involved. But for all I know, um, during that time, they may have uh, been involved into this scandal. And this scandal, you'd be surprised, uh, actually goes into Gisling Maxwell case, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein Island. I truly do believe that judges should look back into this case and uh, bring up, uh, bring it back up like a cold case. Uh, possibly um, uh, uh, bring up re, uh, you know, the, the new statues that we've inter, uh, introduced in the state of Nebraska. Just you know, just a quick note, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, uh, at the time, King was heralded as the Great Black Hope, a leader who righteously helped impoverished black forwards through the, their plight. However, authorities looking into the allegations of child abuse began to recognize King's unusual spending habits. He was purchasing private planes because, you know, you know, he loved the black people so much. He was purchasing luxurious automobiles all while his community suffered and got shot. And, uh, you know, um, different forms of uh, black codes were put on poor communities. You know, Larry King, you know, um, at the time in the 1980s, he was able to uh, convince the masses that, you know, he uh, he loved, he loved King was arrested, and a federal investigation showed he'd stolen $40 million from Franklin. But the FBI's inquiries were secret, and evidence of King's sex ring was quickly covered up. In November 1988, Nebraska's state government set up a oh. parallel investigation. His uh, people, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this isn't a shot, and this isn't a slide against the Republican Party, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I am not, I, I don't care if you're on the left side. Or on the right side, I want the truth. That is literally all I'm about. The truth. That's all. Straight out, straightforward, man. Um, now, um, an extra, uh, he was purchasing private planes, luxurious uh, automobiles, and extravagant homes, including one in Washington, D.C. The IRS became involved, launched an investigation on April 11, 1988. The Franklin Credit Union was raided by the FBI. And as a result of this investigation, King was found to have stolen nearly $40 million from the credit union. He was in, indicated on 40 criminal counts, including conspiracy, fraud, and embezzlement. And in 1991, King was convicted, and the federal credit union was completely collapsed. This is where it gets uh, very strange, though. Um, uh, they, he was never convicted on any of the child trafficking charges or the child abuse pedophilia charges. Now, at the same time, the FBI was processing the Franklin Credit Union case. The state of Nebraska launched its own operation. An investigative, an investigative committee was created and a Senator, Lauren Schmidt, assigned to lead. Schmidt, was wisely, Schmidt wisely followed the money trail and in no time found it led directly to the original allegations of child abuse. I would get 
high on drugs, you know, and I would question him about it, you know, how can you, you do that? I mean, once I asked him, you know, he wanted me to shit on him, you know, and I did, but gladly, you know, I mean, you know, I even said to him, you know, you stupid fucker, you know, I mean, I just, when you're paying me money, how can you get into that, you know, and I, I got, you know, beat up by it, I came home here a lot of times, beat the shit from, you know, misspeaking my tongue, so to speak, and, you know, just tell him how I felt sometimes. Drugs was a, a strong part of uh, how they got control of some of the kids because that's what some of the kids were there to get. They would uh, do the sexual uh, acts and then be provided with uh, cocaine or uh, whatever type of drug they wanted. Heroin, you know, I don't, I don't know, but that was my, my drug of choice. You know, to this day, I remain an addict. You know. Larry King was, I would say, the center of transporting the children around the country. The, the airplanes were usually uh, in his name, leased in his name. They were paid for by Larry King. So we met them in the end of Pasadena. That's cool, We met Larry King with the other. Three boys that I had seen at one of the receptions at the country and yeah, and I was positive they were both ten boys. Almost positive. Um, Thalia. Graduate the boys now. Well, I'm not Schmidt released a 30-page report urging the subcommittees to find out where the money went and you'll find the rest. As an example, Schmidt cited a $2,800 credit card receipt that showed Larry King purchased an expensive coat for a young man. Now, this young man inadvertently was uh, later found dead and shot to death. Um, now, his death was uh, ruled... Um, obviously it was ruled a suicide, you know, but who would have guessed that? Um, it was ruled a suicide when he was short, uh, he was shot point blank in the head, by the way, and uh, the gun did not have his fingerprints on it. You know, maybe we should uh, cold case that file. Uh, you know, now almost as soon as Schmidt began his investigation, anonymous threats began to arrive at his office. The media immediately started discrediting the witnesses. They were, um, the witnesses came across in the media, in the Omaha World Herald, especially, as the criminals. The last three victim witnesses were demolished by the press, particularly the Omaha World Herald. The paper never that would support any of the allegations. The whole purpose of the stories was to destroy any credibility these youth may have. I was very disappointed with the way uh, the FBI and law enforcement treated the victims. They, in fact, uh, turned them into the offenders, so to speak. And instead of taking the evidence that was delivered to them by the victims and interrogating the persons who were the victims identified, uh, they seem to bear down and try to 
get the victim to change their story. Troy Bonner was brought in for questioning by the FBI. The FBI's attitude was, you know, just no. This, these kind of things don't happen. From the first interview when I went, you know, and realized they don't believe the fucking thing I'm saying, you know what I mean? They are, I mean, they, they were just appalled, but I realized what that, that look in their eye was back then. It was fear. It was fear of them, you know. I mean, I had witnessed, you know, firsthand things that would, you know, destroy this city, you know, people in the position, you know, but I mean, it's not going to be believed, believed, they said. It will not be believed. You will be found guilty of perjury. You, I mean, they weren't telling me maybe. You know, they were saying, ah, it's, you're not, it, there's no way. You're going, you go on with the story, you're going to jail. I mean, that was said to me direct. Uh, this is uh, one of the quotes. Uh, I received a phone call on the floor of the legislative uh, legislative uh, committee. The caller did not identify himself, but he said, Lauren, you do not want to have anything to do with this investigation of the Franklin Credit Union. And I asked, who was I speaking to? And they said, that doesn't matter. But you shouldn't have that investigation. And I said, why not? And he said, it will reach to the highest levels of the government and of the Democrat and of the Republican Party. And we're both good Republicans. That um, When I first uh, got into reading this, uh, that, that reading that literally scared the bejesus out of me. Now, um, private investigators uh, uh, that were hired to look into these allegations of child sexual abuse, the Nebraska Legislative Committee hired former Nebraska State Patrolman Gary uh, Carabori and uh, Karen or Minniston to act as private investigators uh, for the case. They were instructed to ignore rumor and gossip and focus only on hard facts with solid supporting evidence. Behind them, almost immediately, they found new victims of the pedophile sex ring, and each told the same exact story as the victims from Boystown three years earlier, according to Karen Ormliston. Once again, um, uh, this course, I, um, if you if you can kind of see why uh, I did a little prevision on the Nebraska State Patrol uh, yesterday and their founding, um, that's kind of why I wanted to show their founding and where they started from. And uh, shout out to the Nebraska State Patrol again, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but why don't you guys mention your other fallen heroes? Uh, now, uh, Senator Schmidt, uh, oh, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I apologize. Um, this is Karen uh, Ormerston's quote. They were telling us about prominent people in Omaha. Involving Omaha News, the Omaha World Herald, Boys Town, and other significant facilities and significant institutions that have broad respect in Nebraska. They were telling us about prominent people in Omaha and elsewhere that were abusing children at these parties. Now, Senator Schmidt uh, says that the names on the list were disturbing. He knew many of them personally and was shocked that their names could be included in a list of child sexual abusers. As Gary uh, Caradura uncovered more and more victims of a powerful group, he began to suspect that someone of a great importance was doing their best to closely watch and disrupt his investigation. Conclusive evidence that he was being monitored came when his wife, Sandy, a middle school English teacher, told him an old friend who worked for Lincoln Telephone Company came to their house and informed her that their phone was being tapped. Ignoring the surveillance placed on him, Cordori, being a badass he was, uh, excuse my language, continued on interviewing witnesses and victims. And in November through December of 1989, Cordori interviewed several key witnesses. Uh, 
who would become intricately entangled in the, in the investigation, Alicia Owen, Troy Boner, and Danny King. Now, uh, Paul A. Benalchi told uh, Kadori he was a victim of a sex abuse since he was eight years old. He described how children were flown around the United States for bad parties and says he attended about 100 such parties at a penthouse in Omaha's Twin Towers from 1981 to 1986. Benalchi says that the pedophile sex parties grew more gruesome and at times he was tied up while other children were forced to sexually abuse him. Benalchi claims he was tortured too. The first of which involved cigarette burns on his arms and legs. Scars from the burns are clearly visible in the photos of Benauchi, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, uh, Troy Boner uh, says he was introduced to the pedophile sex parties when he was 17 years old by Alina Bear. She was a wealthy biz- Omaha business, uh, a businesswoman, a businessman, I apologize. Um, uh, he owned the popular Midwest uh, Benadir's department store chain. Now, Boner says Beard was an extremely sick man. He took sex however he could. He says Larry King was the same kind of person, except Larry King was more violent, rough, and uncaring with the children he had sex with. Now, um, James Danny King says that he, he, that he, along with Troy Boner, attended many of the parties Larry King threw in the penthouse of Omaha's Twin Towers, and like the others, says he was sexually abused at the parties. Danny corroborated testimony from not only Paul Bonacci, but a witness who provided a stunningly vivid recollection of the events, Alicia Owen. In July 1991, Alicia Owen was convicted of perjury. Her sentence was between 9 and 25 years. I can't find a case in the history of this country where some kid got sentenced to 25 or 30 years in prison for something like this. If you were going to pick a, a what I call a telesign, something that says something species about the whole thing, it was in the sentencing itself. For some reason, they had to send a signal to every kid who was a potential witness, in my opinion. A signal so loud and clear, if you dare to come forward, if you dare to talk, watch what happens. So unlike most of the children who claim to have been abused, Alicia Owen did not come from a massively dysfunctional family. Her parents were church-going Christians who raised Alicia under a strict set of moral guidelines. So at age of 14, Alicia fell in with the wrong crowd, which soon led to friendships with several Rowdy Boys Town residents. Uh, Rowdy Boys Town residents, I apologize. Now, Alicia told investigations that she was heavily involved in pedophilic activity with a variety of high-profile politicians, businessmen, and Omaha city leaders, including Larry King. She also provided investigators with an extensive list of victim names, many of which later validated her accusations against Larry King. Now, Alicia says she was first became involved with Larry King in 1990, uh, 1983 when she was just 14 years old. She met King through some of the boys from Boys Town, primarily Jeff Hubble, who invited her to one of King's parties in August 1983. Now, Alicia arrived at the Twin Towers penthouse apartment with Jeff Hubble and Troy Boner. She says drugs were freely available at the party and teens could play bartender if they choose and have any drink they wanted. So, uh, like I said, just I advise all, I advise every single one of you to uh, research the Kintler experiment because if you think this has only been going on since the early 1980s, 1970s, stuff like that, you have no idea how deep 
this stuff goes. And I am actually calling out every single judge in Nebraska to reestablish this case, to bring up these old case uh, cold case files of these victims that were murdered. And we're going to get to it. It wasn't just the one man, the one young man that was bought that expensive extravagant coat by Larry King that came up, you know, shot dead and then got ruled a suicide. There were way other victims than that. Now, um, she described uh, she described a game played at the parties called 501, where the children took turns uh, unbuttoning each other's pants, where their teeth and toes while the adults watched. She says when her turn came, she balked. The adults pressured her to play by teasing her, saying, maybe she's just, she's just a little girl and shouldn't be here. Alicia's testimony was intricately detailed and precise. She was able to describe abusive locations, including where the doors of hotel rooms were located and how the furniture was arranged inside the rooms. Among the minors she named in attendance at the parties were Danny King, Jeff Hubble, Troy Boner, Joe Webb, Larry, Jeremy, and Kurt, despite adult unattendees using aliases or taking care not to reveal their real names, she was able to supply the names of some of the people she says were in attendance. Now, the list was shocking, ladies and gentlemen. Larry King, the Federal Credit Union owner and close friends of Boys Town. Althea Allen, a friend of Larry King's. Not much else is known about Alfie, but now we know a whole lot more about Alfie Allen, don't we? Allen Bear, Wealth Omar businessman, owner and executive at Brindia's store indicated in Federal Credit Union scandal in charge with pandering. He pled no contest to reduce charge of aiding and abetting prostitution and paid a small fine, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Robert Wedman, Omaha chief of police, whom she says once told her, Larry King owes me a lot. He was dismissed from his prostitution in 1989. The reasons for his dismissal are disputed. Sheila Calder, a woman who was organized, a woman who organized these parties, along with shockingly Gisling Maxwell. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I, you can't make this. I, I'm not making any of this up. This is all. I, I'm. I'm literally. I'm, I'm bringing some of these things off the freaking off. Uh, off the court documents. Like you can go back and look up and look at them yourself. Um, uh, uh, Peter Citrone, entertainment columnist for the Omaha World Herald. Such. I really just kind of weird being in the White House at that time of night, getting to go in the place that the guy was telling us that uh, nobody gets to go to. We seen, I seen rooms in there that uh, I never even heard about. Okay, Spencer Larry King had a couple of groups. One was called Bodies by God, and they had the Cowboys, and there was another group that was started by Larry King, which was called the Golden Boys, which was kids that were usually under the age of approximately 10. Saichon yeah. was later arrested for pedophilia in an unrelated case. Harold Anderson, Omaha World Herald Executive. Eugene Mahoney, former state senator, head of Nebraska's Forestry Service. Theodore Carlson, Omaha's county judge. Mike Mercer, a friend of Larry King's. Uh, another unknown uh, superintendent of the school. Um, uh, witness, uh, uh, some witnesses uh, named him as a uh, Deward Skip Finch. Uh, another unknown, uh, unknown, a photographer that many believe was a uh, many believe was Rusty Nelson. 
and uh, and well other prominent uh, key figures, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, over the next few years, Elisa says uh, Elisa says she attended many sex parties at the Twin Towers penthouse apartment. She says she typically received money about $50 uh, to $500 from participants at the party, and occasionally they would take her out and buy her expensive clothes. She claims many photographs and videos of the pedophile acts were taken and then listed on what would be known now as the black web. Now, um, the party soon moved to local clubs, including the Max Bar, French Cap, and the Run. But, and describe how she and the boys from Boys Town were taken across the country on airplanes for similar sex parties to places such as Los Angeles, Kansas City, Pasadena, and in Dallas. She was able to provide details of the flights, including those who flew with her, hotels they stayed in, flight numbers, stopovers, flight times, and descriptions of the baggage that they carried aboard the plane. She says she carried bags for the adults and was told not to open them. Alicia stated, in her in her uh, in her testimony, someone in the administration of Boys Town had to be involved because the boys seemed to have no problem getting out of Boys Town to attend these parties. Now, investigators couldn't help but notice that in almost all cases, the witnesses' testimony matched perfectly. For instance, all witnesses say the sex parties were often hosted at the penthouse suit in the Twin Towers luxury block and that eventually they were flown across the country for uh, pedophilic sex parties. They described how drugs were often used to persuade the children to participate in certain sexual acts and all witnesses agreed that the sessions were filmed and photographed. And um, this also ties, the reason why, the, uh, guys, the reason, once again, the reason why I'm covering this is because this really, really truthfully shows um, not only what has happened with the Gisley Maxwell case and the Jeffrey Epstein, uh, Jeffrey Epstein Island case, but it goes even further, further than that into the MK Ultra and what the CIA were doing with the children and inducing drugs with them, and the CIA agents that they were actually inducing with LSD and then feeding prostitutes to, and these prostitutes were given the job to see if they could pry any information out of the. CIA asset and a lot of the times the woman wouldn't do so in the CIA and as some of the CIA agents in their own testimony children were the best thing that really coerced some of these CIA agents we're dealing with a sick satanic cult that is in control of so many different institutions that it would scare the bejesus out of you as soon as you go down that rabbit hole, which I understand, which is why a lot of people do not want to I understand. It's, it's scary. I don't want to read about this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to sit here and look up all these documents. I didn't want to sit here and look up all of read through all the documents, look all the stuff up guys uh, on the, on, on, on uh, print it all off. Go to the, I went, I went to the freaking library for crying out loud, just to make sure that what I'm reading is fact. And sure enough, here we go. Um, uh, now, to date, no pictures nor video of the events have surfaced. Uh, by the way, once again, because most of these uh, pictures and these evidence, uh, most of these pictures and these uh, videos were all put on the uh, black web. And any people that uh, did have these pictures, more than likely, you know, got rid of them, or you know, they're uh, still uh, in the Bohemian Grove at one of the temples. Uh, one of the temples that they have. We'll never know. Some of the victims. <laughs> 
Some of the victims named the uh, purported photographer, prominent photographer for the Republican Party, Rusty Nelson. Years after their accusations against Nelson were made public, it was reported that Nelson had previously been imprisoned or for possession of child porn, uh, pornography. Nick Bryant, uh, author of the uh, Nick Bryant, um, author of the uh, book The Franklin Scandal, says he interviewed Nelson in 2003. In the interview, Nelson explained that he was hired to take pictures of adults and children in compromising positions for the purpose of blackmail. See how that works out. Now, the content of the pictures and the events surrounding them would be an instant end to his political career. Bryant says Nelson promised investigator uh, Corridori incriminating photographs. They agreed to meet in Chicago. Uh, they agreed to meet in Chicago, a trip that would yield tragic consequences for Corridori. Supporting testimony for, uh, from other witnesses during the Nebraska Legislative Committee investigation, Schmidt and Kadori say, say more supporting witnesses were found. The following lists some of the corroborating witnesses' testimony they uncovered and um, what they meant by uh, the tragic uh, consequences for Kadori. He was murdered. Lauren Schmidt's Legislative Committee issued a report denouncing the grand jury. Two months later, it was disbanded, leaving Schmidt a broken man. The message was now lost on most politicians in Nebraska. I think the message was if any legislative committee ever tries to conduct a thorough investigation again, the same thing will happen. This has shaken my faith in the institutions of government. It used to be a firm leader that that uh, system would work and uh, that people who did things wrong punished and uh, we discovered uh, victims who claimed to have been abused and who the grand jury acknowledged had been abused but they did not try to find out who had abused those individuals. Instead, uh, they convicted Alicia Owen of perjury. Indefensible from my point of view. Murder. So, um, uh, this is what I kind of meant by um, the men, the, the men that, uh, the, that were uh, set up from the Nebraska State Patrol and the investigators from the Nebraska State Patrol. Uh, a shout out to those men because these uh, uh, these guys that took the case did it um, not because they were not because they uh, not because they were um, seeking fame and fortune, but they honestly did because they wanted to get to the truth of what is actually going on. So uh, Special Agent Kadori was was indeed murdered, which is exactly why I mentioned to the Nebraska State Patrol, and, all, and I'm calling out all the judges, to reinvestigate these cold cases, okay? Now, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to get back into this, uh, guys. Now, um, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm crying out loud. I am jumping uh, too far ahead. Let me uh, go back and uh, reestablish myself. Um, uh, 
Let me start with uh, Nick Bryant. Um, he was the author of the Franklin scandal. Um, now, in the interview with Nelson, explained that he was hired to take pictures of adults and children in compromising positions for the purpose of blackmail. And this is where you get the um, these members that they're talking about. You can actually go by, uh, back to uh, back to some of these members that I actually mentioned. Each one of these members, guess what? They're either high-degree Freemasonaries or they're high-degree um, secret society members, such as Opus Deu, um, other members of the Illuminati. And uh, that's that's exactly what I mean by there is a, a, a separation within the Republican Party, and it's becoming more prominent now. So that's why you see the media um, uh, saying there's a difference between conservative Republicans and rhino Republicans, because that's exactly what they are. They're not really Republicans. They're rhinos. They're Democrats that came over on the Republican side so they can act like Republicans, guys. Now, Bryant says Nelson promised investigator Corridori incriminating photographs. Now, they agreed to meet in Chicago, a trip that would yield tragic consequences for Corridori because he was murdered. Shout out to that man. Shout out to that freaking man. Shout out to that brave, brave soldier. Now, uh, during the Nebraska Legislative Committee's investigation, Smith and Cordori say more supporting witnesses were found. The following lists some of the corroborating witnesses' testimony that they have uncovered. A former airplane charter service employee recalled Larry King using the charter service on a weekly basis. She said he routinely, he routinely traveled with a number of young men who were very good-looking, clean-cut, and clean-shaven, and very, very young, some as young as five. She recalled that, that they never spoke on the flight, which she found extremely odd. Kadori obtained hundreds of flight um, itineraries from two charter services, but few at passenger manifests or lists a person on the flight, and thus the names of the young men could not be determined. He noted, however, that most flights were to Washington, D.C. Kadori discovered a supporting testimony from David Hill, who confirmed he had been molested by a Boys Town priest, Father James Kelly, and Fred Carter, who confirmed Larry King's pandering of Boys Town children. Could you understand why a very detailed report from a social worker employed at Boys Town Identifying children, identifying their alleged abuses. Never saw the light of day, nothing happened with that. Oh, I can understand that. Carter explained how the children were selected. There were certain kids, and this is the quote, um, there were certain kids that were, that had the look, uh, that, had, that had that markability. It was all about money. It was all about the younger they were, the better it was. Tony Harris told Kadori that King flew him into Washington several times with five to ten other kids. He recalled the clientele at King's parties as quite distinguished, high society types. Harris says King paid them from $100 to $500 in cash and that children would get privileges back at Boys Town. He also recalled being told that if he talked, there would be consequences. Nicolia Kilman, a former Boys Town student, says he was 11 years old when Larry King started flying him to these pedophilic parties. This is one of the uh, quotes by Nicolia Kamen. I was introduced to Larry King by another Boys Town student who, was, who told me I could make a lot of money, meet a lot of important people, and make something of yourself. But he never told me exactly what you did to get the money and how, the, how everything gets started. 
and how and how and, and it wasn't just for king there are other men groups of men they would have these outrageous parties where they would have a bunch of people a bunch of men there in this room where you either either two boys in the room or a single boy sitting there naked while all of the men perform sexual acts to the little boy Kilman also says he was subjugated to sadistic and satanic acts and cult-like materialistic religious um, uh, religious acts. Uh, many times, uh, sadistic sex or torture was also corroborated by Owen, Boner, and Bonacci. Kamen says that in 1988, after a particular brutal sadistic session, he finally approached Boys Town leaders to tell of the abuse. He was prominently placed on a plane and sent to a psychotropic, uh, a, a psychiatric hospital in Georgia, where he may he where he remained for two years. After leaving the hospital, Cayman changed his legal name from Andrea Panini to avoid harassment. Uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. So this is so another one of these situations where uh, yes, he did change his name. I saw something on Reddit where people were actually asking the question, "What happened uh, um, to?" Um, uh, came in. Well, he did. He changed his name, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he changed his name, guys. That's exactly what happened to him. And reports are now actually coming out that he is dead. Now, a Boy Scout police officer says he observed a vehicle registered to Larry King on the Boy Scout property many times during his employment from 1985 through 1987. And well, other and several other police officers corroborated this same Boy Scout police officer as he observed the same vehicle registered Larry, to Larry King. In one instance, he approached his superior to ask, about, to ask about it, and he was directly told to leave it alone. Now, after Schmidt's investigation reached into a threshold of suspicion, he was told to turn all evidence over to the FBI, including the evidence was video testimony from the four primary witnesses, Troy Boner, Alicia Owen, Paul Bonacci and Danny King. The witnesses' testimony quickly leaked to the press, and in an odd twist, a hostile media began discrediting the witness and portraying them as the criminals. Well, that's exactly uh, because uh, the owners, like I was stating, the owners of Omaha World Herald, and it went deeper than that, ladies and gentlemen, what became KTV and Channel 6. They were all in these videos. They were invited in these videos, so the media turned against these uh, these brave young souls that came out that were subjugated to these satanic cults, to these pedophile rings, and that first came out with it during the 19, late, uh, uh, early 1980s, for crying out loud, ladies and gentlemen. And we look at the Gisley and Maxwell case and the Jeffrey Epstein case, and we ask ourselves, how long has this been going on? How many times have they gotten away with covering it up. Well, we're going to come back with this, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a short little break, and then we're going to come back with this, guys. We'll talk to you here in a little bit. And, of course, we also um, uh, leaking further what we're going to cover into our later sessions. That is um, uh, probably in our third and fourth hour. We want to get to the, the news as far as, in, uh, as far as the medical marijuana push 
that is uh, happening right here in the state of Nebraska. I have some brown sha uh, brown shaking evidence for you. I have the truth about what they're really, really, Senator Weishart is really, really trying to push in the state of Nebraska. She's not going to give you the, the natural form of marijuana that actually cures the cancer. She's going to give you the big pharma medical marijuana that gives you the cancer that inflates your lungs and destroys your ability to breathe on your own, where she's going to give you the medical marijuana by Big Pharma that has acidic acid in there that causes all different types of cancer, all different types of lung cancer. We're going to give you all that news and including some clips by the Senate, by the freaking Senate, ladies and gentlemen. So let's go to a quick break and then we'll be right back, guys. I'll see you out there. Welcome back to Subliminal Message Studios, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very, thank you very much for joining me again. I am your host, Benjamin Leonardo Jacobs, and we are just covering the conspiracy of silence, the the Franklin scandal, which ties into the um, Jeffrey Epstein um, case, the Gisley Maxwell case. It ties into uh, the Kintler experiment that came before that. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back up just a little bit, ladies and gentlemen, but not too much, just to re-institute uh, ourselves. So after Schmidt's investigation reached a threshold of suspicion, he was told to turn in all evidence over to the FBI, including the evidence with video testimony from the four primary witnesses: Troy Boner, Alicia Owen, Paul Bonacci, and Danny King. The witnesses' testimony quickly leaked to the press. And this is when the Omaha uh, World Herald uh, began hostily, hostile, uh, hostily attacking the witnesses and portraying them as criminals. Now, um, soon, uh, soon after this, the legal authorities also began to discredit the witnesses as well. Uh, this because of the uh, politicians and even the judges that were involved in this scandal, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, I think if we... No, what we know about now with the Jeffrey Epstein Island case with uh, Gisley Maxwell and the, at least the testimony and the un, uh, redacted documents that we have now, I think we this is the same reason why I wanted to reinstitute this case. Not only did this case kill a Nebraska State Patrolman, but you'll see who else it killed. Now, Lord, Lord Schmidt was devastated by the reaction to the evidence he turned over to them. With regards to the negative media reaction, the investigators did find it very odd that at least three of the accused sexual predators held high-level positions at the Omaha World Herald newspaper. Now, as pressure to file charges against the accused increased, 
Troy Boner says he was told by the authorities that if he went forward with this testimony, he was going to jail for perjury. Boner says he was then realized he, he then realized they believed nothing what he was telling him was out of fear and very, very true. Now, unfortunately, Boner soon recanted his story and began working with investigators to convince other victims to recant their stories, particularly Alicia Owen, who would eventually be charged with eight counts of perjury because Alicia Owen did not submit to the FBI and she did not submit to pressure from the authorities. She was charged with eight counts of perjury, ladies and gentlemen. And the feds and the police uh, police charge some of these some of the sexual abuse children with perjury saying quoting that they lied now what, what we know about the gizli maxwell case and what we know now of how this how these types of operations work we now know that these that these children were not only sexual rape but they were put in prison for telling the truth now yeah, Now, in an attempt to uh, trap Alicia in lies, the FBI worked with Boner to report a conversation between him and Alicia. However, the transcript of the conversation shows that the FBI's attempt to trap Alicia totally backfired. This is the actual statements from the recording. Boner, you you uh, co- uh, come co to this whole thing, Alicia. Owen, you're full of shit. Who the hell do you have listening on this phone call? Boner, I have nobody listening to me. I'll be honest with you. Owen, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what kind of game you're playing here. Boner, I'm not playing any game here. Owen, I don't know who you have listening to this phone call or Boner, you're being stupid, Alicia. I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to go to jail for you. And that's what's going to happen. Owen, why would you go to jail for telling the truth? Boner goes, no, for lying. Owen, what have we lied about? Boner, I haven't lied. Okay, Owen, okay, but then why are you, Boner, listen, shut up, listen to me. You're not out here being, uh, you're not out here being talked to them every day. The pressure is kind of hard. We are going to be killed or thrown in jail if we continue with this case. And these are the unredacted statements, okay? These are the unredacted statements. That last part, that last part, that's unredacted statements. The pressure is kind of hard. We are going to be killed. 
Now, uh, while the FBI, media, and authorities were attempting to discredit the victim's testimony and private investigators, Gary Cordura and Karen Ormiston say they continue to receive anonymous threats. Ormiston claims that Cordura's car was tampered with several times and an act that she believes was meant as a threat since the tampering attempts were so blatantly obvious. Now, on July 11, 1990, during the middle of the investigation, Gary Cordori and his eight-year-old son, Ajay, were returning from a Chicago All-Stars baseball game aboard a private airplane. Cordori had been pursuing new leads at the time, and according to his wife, Cordori told her that while in Chicago, he intended to meet with photographer Rusty Nelson to obtain incriminating photographs of the abuse. Upon returning from the game, Cordori's private plane crashed in a remote cornfield killing both Gary Kadori and his young son. The wreckage was spread over a large area, indicating that the plane had somehow broken up in flight. Now, federal investigators were never able to determine who and what tore the plane apart in midair. The black box on the plane was never recovered. Strangely, missing from the wreckage with Corridor's personal briefcase, which uh, uh, with Corridor's personal briefcase, which many suspect contained the incriminating photographs obtained from Rusty Nelson within 48 hours of the crash. The FBI delivered a subpoena to Corridor's widow demanding she turn over all her husband's evidence related to the Franklin investigation. This is a quote by Corridor's brother. I really believe that somebody killed my brother. And may God help those that did that to him and his family. Uh, this is why I'm calling out. And this is, I'm not calling out the Nebraska State Patrol. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, what are you guys? No, no, no. I'm, I'm calling you guys out because I want you guys to reinvestigate that case. That is your fallen soldier. All right. That, why do you think I get? I, why do you think I did a special report on you? Because I I want you guys to reinvestigate that case. This whole entire this whole entire the Franklin the Franklin uh, cover this whole entire thing should be reinvestigated with the information we now know with Gisley Maxwell, with the politicians that were involved at uh, Jeffrey Epstein's island. We need to reinvestigate this, guys. We need to get back into this because this will really, really enlighten more folks than the Georgia Guidestones being blown up for crying out loud. Now, um, Troy Boner says that the airplane crash and murder of Gary Cordura produced a profound impact on him. Just before the perjury trial of Alicia Owner, Bowen recanted his recantation and stuck with his original story. Then six months later, on January 10th in 1991, his brother Sean died in an explicable gun accident. Boner was convinced he and his family had been sent a warning message. He decided once again to keep his mouth shut. And um, the uh, by the way, uh, Sean uh, Sean Boner, uh, the inexplicable gun accident. Uh, the inexplicable gun accident um, was uh, inexplicable. That's because the gunshot came from the back of his head. So, yeah, just a little FYI. It's not really explicable. Um, a lot of us would call that murder or possibly assassination. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> who, who am I? I'm just a conspiracy theorist, right? <laughs> now, um, shortly after the plane crash that killed Carrie Gordia and the gun accident that killed George, uh, Troy's brother, Sean Boner, the Nebraska legislative investigation, was mysteriously shut down. The grand jury threw out the Franklin case, labeling it a carefully crafted hoax. 
Lord Schmidt quickly issued a report denouncing the grand jury's conclusion. Despite his objections, two months after his report was issued, the committee was shut down, according to Schmidt. The message was not lost on most politicians in Nebraska. I think the message that was delivered was if any uh, committee ever tries to conduct a thorough investigation again, this same thing will happen. It has shaken my faith in the institutions of government. Now, in July 1991, Alicia Owen was convicted of perjury and sentenced between 9 to 29 years. I can't find a case in the history of this country where some kind where some kid got sentenced to 25 or 30 years in prison for something like this. If you are going to pick a tell sign, something that says this, there's something fishy about this whole thing, it was this sentence itself. So the message was clear. If you dare come forward, watch what happens. Three months later, Larry King was sentenced for $40 million under the Franklin Credit Union investigation fraud. His maximum sentence was 15 years, 10 years less than Alicia Owen. Now, shortly after Alicia's conviction for perjury, John D. Camp, attorney and member of the Nebraska legislature, joined the victim's fight. His first, his first act was to ensure Troy Boner knew that the key to staying alive was to expose the truth behind the Boystown abuse accusations. D. Camp spent many hours interviewing Boner after he said, I have no doubt that he is now telling the truth, number one, and number two, that he originally told the story, and it has been sustainable and stuck the same story every single time. And in another odd twist, D. Camp found that the tapes of Alicia Owen's testimony had been edited, that parts of her story that matched Troy Boner's testimony had been edited out as well. It was clear that parts of their testimony that were edited out were eerily similar and would have been near impossible to conspire to make up. Specific details such as airlines taken during these travels to parties, where they sat, where the flights switched, where layovers were, and how long each leg of the flights were. D. Camp prod Boner and he finally agreed to stick with his original story. He agreed to testify against the Boys Town abusers and immediately received a subpoena for perjury. Boner fled and went into hiding. The subpoena hinted at D. Camp that someone very powerful was at the top of the Franklin scandal. He began investigating Larry King's political contacts in Washington, D.C. and was stunned at what was discovered. Now, despite threats of perjury, Paul Bonacci agreed to continue with his testimony against the Boys Town abusers. He took D. Camp and other investigators to Washington, D.C., where he pointed out that the home that Larry King used for the pedophile sex parties. The house was a large, immaculate home on D.C.'s Embassy Road. But now she explained that at first he was flown to the parties a few times each year. Soon he was being flown to Washington, D.C. about once a month. He noted that oftentimes the parties began as legitimate political parties. But after many of the politicians had left, the sex party would begin. But now she says one of the abusers had close ties to the upper echelons of American government, a powerful Washington lobbyist, Craig Spence. According to Bonacci, Larry King took youngsters on midnight tours of the White House with the help of Craig Spence and Secret Service insiders. Insider access for pedophile predators, no less, to the most secure home in the country seen beyond belief. However, in 1989, the Washington Times confirmed that Craig Spence arranged at least four midnight tours of the White House, including one on June 29th, 
1988, on which he took with him a 15-year-old boy whom he falsely identified as his son. The Times also discovered a Secret Service agent assigned to the midnight shift at the White House had been furloughed. They have found that he was interrogated for more than 10 hours as armed agents with search warrants searched his home for nearly two hours. Craig Spence's involvement in the affair seemed to be the investigator's golden egg. Spence's true involvement, however, would never be known. In early November, only four months after the uh, allegations surfaced, Spence committed suicide inside the Boston Ritz-Carlton Hotel. His suicide note, written with a black felt-tip marker on the mirror of his room, read, Chief, consider this my resignation, effective immediately. As you always said, you can't ask others to make a sacrifice if you are not ready to go do the same. Life is duty. God bless America. Uh, of course, uh, and by the way, the uh, suicide um, uh, related to a gunshot to the back of his head, too. It's really, really funny how almost every single one of these suicides are just to the back of the head. I have no idea how these guys are perfectly aiming in conjunction to the back of their head, blowing their head all over the um, all over the uh, back uh, back of whatever wall they were, um, uh, whatever wall or room they were in. Just think of the Uvalde shooting. Uh, you know what I mean? Ask those children how that works out. You know what I'm saying? Ask ask those children how gun control works out because I think they just learned the hard way. Gun control doesn't work. Gun control literally kills more people. It's right next to pharmaceutical drugs. The death of pharmaceutical drugs has been second. Democide is number one when it comes to the death of, of civilians. Pharmaceutical drugs are in second. Gun control is in the third. It kills people. It kills people. And education kills more, if anything. Now, while in Washington, D.C., John D. Kent met with Washington Times writer Paul Rodriguez about the story he had written that year. Rodriguez conducted an uncover investigation that led to several groups inside a callboy operation running in Washington, D.C. The size of the callboy operation was unheard of. In fact, his investigation revealed to be the largest male prostitution ring in the city that had ever been uncovered. The sex ring was proven to generate over a million dollars per year. But according to Rodriguez, there was something that bothered him even more. Despite being the largest male prostitution operation ever discovered in the city, the only people to prosecuted were Henry Vincent and three others and three of his lieutenants. The operation claimed to have clients that ranged from the White House to Capitol Hill, to the State House to large, powerful churches and the media. Oddly, prosecutors never went after any of these clients. In addition, Rodriguez's discovery hinted there could be tantalizing ties to the Franklin scandal accusations. And he says that his investigation often revealed pedophilia crimes, but there was never quite enough to conclusively confirm conclusively confirm the illegal sexual abuse of the children. <coughs> lies. All lies. Lies. <laughs> All lies. Get out of here. Nah, this, but this is uh, one of his quotes. We couldn't quite nail, and of course... To accuse someone of high statue, you have to be quite careful when people are getting murdered. Rodriguez says he obtained credit card records, receipts, and a list of clients, about 20,000 documents in all. When prosecutors found that Rodriguez uh, was accessing these documents, they sealed all related records by court order. 
The only way to gain access was to obtain consent from the prostitutes, attorneys, and the clients that were accused of using the services of the call boy operation. This, of course, meant the documents would never see the light of day. Thus far, all attempts to unseal the records have failed still to this day. DeCamp believed a major Washington callboy operation matching the mutinous operanda and a time frame of the Boy Sound accusers were surely no coincidence. Now, um, these horrific events surrounding the Franklin scandal was uh, was supposed to air um, on May 3rd, uh, 1994 on the Discovery Channel. It was supposed to be dubbed the Conspiracy of Silence documentary. Now, according to reports, just prior to airing, an unmanned congressman threatened the TV cable industry with restricted legislative legislation. Soon after, the rights to the documentary were purchased by an, unman, an unnamed persons who ordered all copies of the films to be, to be destroyed. To date, only a pre-release copy of the show exists. Leaked copies can be found on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're seeing on your screen, obviously, is as much as I can find on uh, this entire story, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, Troy Boner, um, he went into hiding and was not heard from for several years. He would later arrive at a New Mexico hospital claiming that the Franklin abusers were after him. He was immediately admitted and sedated. The following day, he was found dead in his hospital, ladies and gentlemen. So he was murdered. Um, Larry King, um, he was released from prison. It is believed that he resides somewhere on the East Coast. Uh, the Boys Town can, continues to prosper and now has locations in 12 regions across the country, despite the amount evidence and the amount of frustration, the amount of the amount of evidence, despite the amount of uh, amount of truth of what Boys Town is being used for. Um, they have uh, places in California, Nevada, Texas, Nebraska, Iowa, Louisiana, North Florida, Central Florida, South Florida, Washington D.C., New York, and New England. Now, Paul Bonacci, despite being accused of lying and serving prison time for three counts of perjury, Paul Bonacci filed a civil suit against Larry King, and he won and was awarded a judgment of $1 million. While in prison of perjury, Bonacci's testimony was further validated by an incredible story that turned out to be one of the most notorious kidnapping cases in the country. Now, in July 1991, just as the sentencing of Alicia Owen wrapped up, News broke in Iowa that Paul Bonacci had given evidence involving the disappearance of Johnny Croce. And uh, Johnny Croce was very, very famous, ladies and gentlemen. It caught a lot of uh, media's hands. This is what this is this caught a lot of people's attention, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're wondering what happened to Johnny Coach Croce, he was murdered. Okay? He was murdered. All right. So I'm going to give you the little, a little backstory of the disappearance of 12-year-old Johnny Croce. A 12-year-old Johnny Croce had been missing since uh, September 5th, 1982. On that date, an early Sunday morning, his uh, he left for his routine Des Moines registered newspaper delivery route and then disappeared for nine years. His parents searched the country for him. In late 1990, the Croce got the first major break in years because of Paul Bonacci remembering seeing during the Boys Town abuse atrocities. Recalling Bonacci's testimony, John D. Camp noted that one of the events Paul described and reminded him of the case of Johnny Croce. He confirmed the similarity of the details of the case and then contacted the Croce family. 
They advised me that they had their full of false leads from people who claimed to know something about their missing boy and people who claimed to have information for sale but did not seem genuinely interested. A Nebraska inmate has provided details about the abduction of Johnny Croce that only someone with first-hand knowledge could have had, his lawyer said Tuesday. Inmate Paul Bonacci's account did not match up, uh, did match up, did not match up 90%, not 90%. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let me uh, restate myself. Uh, inmate Paul Bonacci's account did not match up 90%, not 95 not 80%. But 100% it matched John D. Camp, what John D. Camp said. I am convinced this kid is telling absolutely the truth. He never varied on the time. He gave a description of Johnny's pants, name on his skirt, on his shirt, and scars on his body. D. Camp said he became suspicious of, of a crouch connection when he read a transcript of a psychiatrist interview with Benauchi in which an incident involving a newspaper carrier was mentioned. D. Camp said Benauchi did identify Croce by his full name. I went to the library and checked on Johnny Croce. I wrote to the Crouches and told them I don't know if there is any validity, validity, but the dates coincide and he talks about someone from Iowa. D. Camp said John Croce, the boy's father, met with Benauchi and started getting chills. I believe he believes him and I believe him as well. Johnny uh, Croce's father, uh, John Croce Sr., did indeed visit Paul Bonacci in prison unannounced, sitting down across from him. Gauch asked Bonacci, do you know who I am? Bonacci replied, you look like it can't be the eyes. You look like Johnny Croce. The World Herald confirmed on July 22, 1991, that Bonacci knew some incredible things about the case. There were photographs taken by Johnny prior to the kidnapping. We know this because a woman reported it to the police. We're convinced, but now she saw these pictures. He accurately described the location, which is not far from our from our home. He described many things about the pictures in which we never publicly talked about. And like I said, the uh, missing, the disappearance of Johnny Croce, that Johnny Croce, that caught worldwide recognition, especially right here in America. And for this to be tied, and this is this is what uh, they didn't really get into. You see, the media, especially at this time, they did not report on this. Omar uh, Lord Eric put it in a little, 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 uh, little, little part, and then you know what I mean. Got rid of it. You know what I'm saying? Now, the following timeline was assembled by Franklin by the Franklin Scandal researcher and lists key participants in the purported activities. Now, on uh, 12/31/1968, Franklin Credit Union established in Omaha, Nebraska. 8-1970, Lawrence E. Keene Jr. becomes manager at the Franklin Credit Union. 7-1976, accountant Thomas Harvey of the Franklin Credit Union discovers the manipulation of the bank accounts. Harvey begins to manipulate the Federal Credit Union books to cover for the missing money. By the end of 1976, $400,000 was missing from the credit union's bank funds. 1978, Paul Bonacci attends sex parties with Alan Bearer at an apartment with, at the Twin Towers in Omaha. 12, 1978, Paul Bonacci starts a sexual arrangement with Harold W. Anderson at the Red Lion Inn. And in 1979, Paul Bonacci is introduced to Peter Citrone at Pineal Park. In 12, 1980, Paul Bonacci meets Lawrence King in Sarpy County where he says they perform satanic ritual abuse. 
1981, an anonymous letter was sent to the National Credit Union associating detailing concerns about the Franklin Credit Union. A limited investigation took place. The investigation revealed approximately $400,000 was missing. And in 1981, Paul Bonacci began going out of town with Alan Buster. He would assist Burr, uh, Bauer, um, Alan Bauer, I apologize. He would assist Bauer in entrapping new children to be used by Bauer and others. And in 1982, Paul Bonacci was flown to California, the Bohemian Grove in particular, to participate in orgies. And in 1983, James Daniel, Danny King, meets Lawrence King and Alan Barr at a party. 4-1-1983, Harold Anderson speaks at the Franklin Credit Union annual meeting. 8-1983, Troy Boner meets Alan Bear through a friend at Twin Towers' apartment. And in 2-1984, James Daniel King takes an out-of-town trip with Alan Bear. 2-1984, Edward Hobbs, a Franklin Credit Union teller who had worked for the bank for five years, writes a letter to the Franklin Board alleging embezzlement at the Franklin Credit Union. The following day, Hobbs was fired. Hobbs also supplied a letter to an attorney and a legislator and a legislator. Their response to Hobbs was that, we've been watching Lawrence King for some time. We are aware of his living beyond his means. However, the department can't do anything because we don't want to seem like the big, bad white guy jumping on a tiny black credit union. For 1984, James Daniel King means Laura King at Alan Bear's residence. 7, 1984. Troy Boner meets Lori King at the Max Bear in downtown Omaha. 8, 1984. Lawrence King throws a lavish party in Dallas, Texas after seeing the national anthem at the Republican National GOP Convention. 9, 1984. Lawrence King gets an apartment for Troy Boner at 48th and Dodge at the apartment King would abuse Boner. 9, 1984. Lawrence King takes Lisa Webb and a 15 to 20, uh, 15 to 20 boys from Boys Town, Omaha to Chicago for a sex party. One, 1984, a party is thrown at the Banderas building in Omaha, where both Troy Boner and Lawrence King were in attendance. 5 1, 1985, Alicia Owen gives birth to a baby named Amanda Jane. 6 1984 uh, foster children are removed from Jerry and Barbara Webb's home after children complain of physical and sexual abuse by the Webb's. 8 1985 party at the Woodman Tower Bell Room Ballroom in attendance for James Daniel King, Lawrence King, Alicia Owen, Rusty Nelson, and Troy Boner. 11 1985 throughout a six week investigation by Lincoln and Omaha Police, 13 individuals were arrested for child pornography charges, including in the arrest were Joseph Burke, Walter Carson, Winford Fryer, and Leo Winford Feller, all of which were charged with felonies. Misdemeanor arrests, including Alden Jensen, Ben Bruner, John N. Nelson, Harold Potter, Elvin R. Beeler, Mark Woods, Lawrence Reeves, Harold Miller, and Don Norbo. Joseph Burke was later sentenced to two to five years in prison. Walter Carlson was sentenced to 15 months, three years. Investigators, however, indicated in reports that their initially six-week investigation did not meet the investigation was over, and that half of the pornographic material still had not been viewed by police. Reports through indicated no further investigation took place into the child pornography ring. 
Now, later, certain investigators of the Franklin case would question whether or not this case had any ties to the Franklin debacle. Now, in 1986, uh, the first of 1986, that is, Lisa Webb, who testified to have been abused by the Webbs, uh, was administered and passed multiple polygraph tests questioning her allegation. She passed every single one of them with flying color, uh, flying colors. Prosecuting attorney Pat Tripp made a decision not to prosecute the Webbs. Now, uh, the 3rd, 1986, Julia Walters interviews the Webb girls. After the interviews, Walters contact, uh, contacts Pat Florican regarding the allegations made by the girls. Allegations including uh, instances where Larry King was in attendance at parties in which the Webb girls and other children had been physically and sexually abused through ritualistic means. And in 4, 1986, Paul Benalci revealed his story of sexual abuse to school authorities. Authorities con uh, contacted the Omaha police. However, no investigation was ever made based on the allegations. In the 6 6 1986, Harold Anderson raised $600,000 to pay for a renovation of the Federal Credit Union. And in 6 1987, Lawrence King donated $16,000 to the Omaha Press Club. And in 12, 1987, the Foster Care Review Board begins investigating the Franklin-related allegations. 3, 1988, the initial Franklin probe begins. 6, 1988, Omaha Police Department begins to receive allegations from the public concerning Lawrence King photographing young ladies at the Twin Tower Apartments. 6, 1988, the Omaha Police Department receives a report from Christine Hallberg from the Richard Young Psychological Hospital in Omaha regarding sexual abuse and homicide allegations involving Larry King. These allegations re uh, came as a response to reports from the Foster Care Review Board on, Nelson, on Nellie Patterson and her sister Kendra. 7-1988, the Foster Care Review Board turns over all investigation information to Attorney General Robert Spear and the Omaha Police Department. 8-1988, Lawrence King throws a lavish party in New Orleans after return appearance to the Republican GOP convention to sing the national anthem. Now on 10-2-1988, Lawrence King donates $18,000 of Franklin at Franklin's assets to the D.C. Board of Human Rights Camp Fund, a lobby for gay and lesbian rights. 11-4-1988, the Franklin Credit Union is closed by the FBI and the IRS. After closing, after closing, the $37 million in secret liabilities were discovered. Originally, the Franklin Credit Union ledgers showed $2,600,000 in liability. 11-14-1988, the NCUA files a lawsuit against Lawrence King contending he diverted money from the credit union for his personal use. The NCUA suited claims King, uh, claimed King had used the diverted funds to run the businesses and to pay interest and principal on unrecorded cert certificates of deposits. 11-18-1988, the Nebraska legislator passes a resolution to investigate improperties at the Franklin Credit Union. 11-12-1988, the Foster, Crew, Foster Care Review Board received additional information from the Richard Young Hospital, Christina Holberg, including allegations of cult activities and sacrifices of small children and sexual abuse. 12-1-1988, NCUA officials raised their estimates of Franklin potential liabilities to $39 million. 12-1988, Lords King admits in an Omaha World Herald article that he suspects the Franklin case involves more than the certificate of the spot, uh, of the of, uh, deposit allegations. King declined to be any more specific about the allegations. 
Now, uh, 12, and, and also in 12, 1988, Lawrence King denies diverting more than $34 million from Franklin's assets. King followed by asking the court to dismiss the civil lawsuit that had been taken out against him. We already went through that. Now, on uh, 12, 1988, the FBI and Nebraska State Patrol contacted the Foster Care Review Board and questioned certain children' reliability and credibility. Now, um, uh, 12, 19, 1988, guys, we're going to keep on going. The State Foster Care Review Board turns over the report of sexual abuse to the Executive Board of the Nebraska Legislature. 110, 1989, the Franklin Committee is formed by the LB5. 2-9-1989, Senator Lawrence Schmidt meets with Lawrence King. During the meeting, King discusses his powerful acquaintance, including Harold Anderson and agents of the FBI and Omaha Police. 5-19-1989, a federal grand jury charges Lawrence E. King Jr. with 40 felony counts. His wife, Alice, was indicted on 12 charges. Three employees of Franklin who sold certificates of deposit on commission were indicted and in, uh, were also indicted on commission were on commission were indicted on income tax evasion charges. Now on a 5 2 or 23, 1989, Lawrence and Alicia pled not guilty. 6 3, 1989, Miss Harvey and her son E. Thomas Harvey Jr., Franklin's chief accountant, each pled in guilty to one count of embezzling and one count of evading federal income taxes. 6 1989, Omaha police officer Chris Kerimine testifies in front of the Franklin committee that the child abuse. Witnesses are credible. 7. 1989. Nicholas Aurora of FBI claims there are no credible witnesses for the Franklin case. 7. 19, uh, 1989. The Franklin Committee reports that their intent of investigated action is to follow the money trail. 7. 9. 1989. Ernie Chambers, James McFarland, Kirk Taylor, Jerry Lowe resigned from the Franklin Committee in light of the new angle of the committee was to take by following the money trail. You see how that worked. 725 1989 concerned parents group formed to press local officials in regards to the franklin case 828 1989 gary cadora hired as chief investigator for the legislative franklin committee 1125 1989 gary cadora interviews victim troy bar at the residence inn 1227 1989 the franklin committee gives co uh, copies of tape testimony to the fbi which subsequently was leaked to the media 118, 1990, John D. Camp releases the Franklin Memo, which included the names of Harold Anderson, Lawrence King, Peter Citrone, and Alan Bear. Attorney General Robert Spire calls for a grand jury on 130, 1990, and in 223, 1990, sex charges filed against Peter Citrone. In 322, 1990, the Douglas County Grand Jury conveyed. In 319, 1990, the Douglas County Grand Jury starts the Franklin Abuse Trial. In 329, 1990, Lawrence King is declared incompetent and uh, incompetent to stand trial. 419 in 1990, uh, Harold Anderson testifies before the grand jury. 426, 1990, uh, 1990, Mayor P.J. Morgan testifies before the grand jury, stating that he was outraged by the accusations against him involving the Franklin case. Yeah, outraged. Uh, 514-1990, Gary Cordera takes videotaped statements from Paul Benauchi. 515-1990, former Warden Herald columnist Peter Citron pleaded no contest to two felony charges of, of fondling boys. He was later diagnosed as mentally disordered, uh, disordered sex offender required a treatment. Requirement or requiring treatment. 525 in 1990, Judge Murphy orders for a blood test on Alicia Owens' baby. 
7-11-1990, Gary Cordora and his son Andrew are killed in a plane crash in Aurora, Illinois. 7-23-1990, Peter Chertron was sentenced to 38, year, 38 years for sexual assault. 7-23-1990, media polls taken in Omaha show that 70-90% of the population polled believe there is a cover-up that was taken place in the Franklin matter. 7-23-1990, Paul Benantri is indicated on three counts of perjury. 7-23-1990, Alan Borer is indicted on felony charts of pandering. Alicia Owens on 7-23-1990 is indicted on eight counts of perjury. 7-24-1990, the grand jury throws out the Franklin case, labeling it as carefully crafted hoax. 7-26-1990, Alan Borer pleaded innocent to pandering charges and is released on a significant bond. 8-8-1990, Paul Bonacci, uh, uh, Paul Bonacci and Alicia Owen entered an innocent pleas to their perjury charges. 8-17-8-1990, John DeCamp files a lawsuit against the Douglas County Grand Jury. 11-7-1990, Lawrence King is now called competent to stand trial. Yeah, funny how that works out. 1-4-1991, John D. Camp's suit against the grand jury is dismissed. 1-11-1991, the Nebraska State Legislature refused to continue the Franklin Committee investigation after their losing important chairs on the committee. 2-1-1991, John D. Camp files a civil suit a uh, civil rights suit on behalf of Paul Benucci against the Catholic Archbishop of Omaha, Lawrence King, Peter Citrone, Alan Bear, Harold Anderson, Michael Koch, uh, Hosh, Kenneth uh, Bovazio, and other Nebraskan persons and institutions. 2-11-1991, Lawrence and Alicia King enter a plea bargain to stay out of, oh, to stay out of open court. 5. 1992, John D. Kent publishes the Franklin cover-up. 7-1-1993, Alice King completes her prison sentence in Dallas, Texas. 7-5-1993, Lawrence King had paid $25 and his wife, Alice, had paid $10 thus far after agreeing to pay $48,800,000 in the plea bargain they had entered in 1991. Now, in a 5-3-1994, the Discovery Channel was to air the Yorkshire documentary Conspiracy of Silence about the Franklin cover-up. However, the documentary is pulled off the air at the last minute after a congressman, congressman warned the Discovery Channel that they would introduce legislation to silence the Discovery Channel. And then an unknown buyer purchased uh, all, all uh, video copies of the Conspiracy of Silence video. And that video did include the actual videotapes from uh, supposedly some of these uh, sexual parties, some of these cult-like parties. They included pictures, and um, we can only guess. Oh, actually, we, we can now guess what they included with what we know now about the Gisley and Maxwell case. So in um, uh, 11, 19, uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, 214 in 1999, Paul Bonacci wins a judgment of $1 million against Lawrence King. John D. Camp had represented Bonacci in his lawsuit against King. 11, 1999, Alicia Owen is denied a hearing to commute her sentence in order to set her free. 1, 2000, Lawrence King drops an appeal to the $1 million judgment against him. 4-10-2001, Lawrence King is released from prison after serving less than 10 years of his 15 sentence. Just to give you guys a perspective, uh, Alicia Owen served, as I, I believe I, I, I believe she served uh, almost her whole entire time, and she may have, I cannot, uh, I cannot say 
what exactly happened to her after that? Um, now, spring, the spring of 2003, Troy Boner arrives at a New Mexico hospital. He was uh, sedated upon admittance. The next day, he was found dead in his hospital room, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, upon, once again, upon him entering in uh, to um, the hospital, um, he was he made statements saying that the Franklin uh, men uh, from the from the case, the men from the Franklin case, are after him and they're going to kill him. And uh, well, he was sedated, and then he you know he never woke up the next day. He was murdered. So uh, that's and that's gonna bring that's gonna bring us to the end of this uh, to the end of the uh, conspiracy uh, conspiracy silence uh, the conspiracy silence, ladies and gentlemen. That's gonna bring us to the end of the Franklin. Um, uh, wow, my, my my mind is totally uh, forgetting me right now. That's gonna bring us to the end of the uh, uh, the Franklin um, cover up, ladies and gentlemen. But what I want to get to uh, here in a little bit uh, is, um, or at least during our uh, third hour, um, is. Because I'm gonna have I'm gonna have one of my uh, I'm gonna have uh, one of my buddies over here at Band Video uh, give me a quick uh, give me a quick little break here. Uh, I do apologize. Give me one second while I try to set this up again. It's only me operating the camera, so I'm having to do you know what I mean uh, both of the things here at once. But I just wanted to give you guys uh, I hand you guys over to um, what should we play? I want to hand you guys over to Jim Burrow. Um, that is, he is literally smashing the COVID vax, right? Um, this is so. This is just a short little uh, stand-up comedy of a uh, Jim Brawl, which is, hey man, he's the guy off of um, Half Baked. If you guys haven't seen that movie, it's a hilarious movie. I advise you guys to go watch it for yourselves. But um, uh, give me just a second to s- set this up, like I keep on stating. All right. I'm gonna switch up. I know, I'm gonna switch over this camera, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna allow you guys to watch this because it is honestly, truthfully hilarious, guys. Check this out. Things. Oh, this is not a big airman above that. He's too hot to kill. 
Honestly, hilarious. You know what I mean? Like he's still like it's not. And, and this is a uh, another uh, quick little uh, note about um, uh, Jim Burrow. A lot of people have this uh, assumption that he's a total pothead. Actually, Jim Burrow is, uh, believe it or not, he uh, had he used to have a problem with uh, drinking alcohol. He used to have a very big problem with drinking al- alcohol. Uh, he was never the pothead in half baked. That was mainly Dave Chappelle. Shout out to that. Uh, shout out to that man right there. And why do you think Dave Chappelle doesn't support the big pharma medical marijuana industry? Because even he spoke out against the medical marijuana industry that big pharma is introducing, ladies and gentlemen. But um, we're going to get to that here in our uh, third hour. I, I did not expect that going over that Franklin case would take uh, to take well into our second hour, but it did, guys. But I just want to cover some local news with you. Um, so to test base real quick, so that that uh, the, the missing inmate that um uh, you know what I mean that that uh, that just disappeared out of our uh, out of our county jail, he's been found. Um, the picture that you're seeing, yes, that that's definitely him right there. Yes, he looks like uh, the uh, Freddy Cougar. Um, yes, uh, he was missing, and yes, we already do have another inmate that's missing as well, ladies and gentlemen. So. One, uh, one, you know, went out. We caught one and brought him back in, and now another inmate is uh, missing out of the Omaha jail. We're gonna get into that here in a second. Um, now I want to get in, but I do. I want to get into this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Omaha police, uh, Omaha police officers will face remedial training after video of arrest surfaces, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Officer Dave Stewart, six-year-old, uh, six, a 16 uh, OPD veteran, was the officer who was seen ste- uh, stepping on Jennifer Carter's leg as she was, as she was arrested. Carter was cited on suspicion of cri- uh, criminal mischief on May 1st and was told not to return to her property after allegedly damaging an apartment door. Later that day, a 9-11 uh, ca- caller said Carter returned to the property and was trying to destroy his property again. The officer saw Miss uh, Carter walking toward the property when she turned to walk in the opposite direction. When she saw them, the police department said the officer contacted Miss Carter and attempted to place her in a police custody. Miss Carter resisted the officer's attempts to place her into custody. And uh, uh, this isn't real. I, I want to say this, okay? That's not a use of force. First of all, if you are resisting police, what is with people that have this idea that 
Well, actually, I, I don't want to say uh, I don't want to start off with this. Uh, we have to realize that there's more incentive. We created a generation. We've created a culture that we've given uh, the youth, especially the youth, more incentive to uh, resist police because they know. Well, my video will go viral, right? You know what I mean. This video is definitely going to go viral. You know, they they have more incentive to resist police because the police do use any kind of physical force. Then the rest of the world is going to cut down that video all down to the point where it only shows that one officer stopping on, a, on, on in this case, on this woman's leg. I'm not even going to go into the fact that this woman's not a saint. I'm not even going to go into that fact. I don't know this woman personally, okay? This is an attack uh, strictly against this woman, all right? And I'm not trying to be uh, the whole buddy-buddy against uh, police. But what I do know is we are creating a generation that we are giving more incentive to fight the police. And you add on, and if you add on all the, the, the music that we have day, uh, nowadays, we add on the politicians that have went out of their way to make sure that anyone is born nowadays only knows I mean, for two years, two years, this whole any baby that is born during these first two years or during these two years, three years now of this pandemic, they know nothing but riots, protests, fuck the police. And I'm I'm sorry, we're um, we're live on air. That probably we'll probably have to switch this over to Spotify, switch that little part over to Spotify. But um, you got you have to realize that we get more sensitive to act out. Because we've created a generation where it's cool to be a victim. We've created a generation where it's it's cool to uh, be a narcissist, a narcissist, a narcissist. And we also see the shift in the culture that we're seeing now. You know, the culture is shifting slowly, and that's because the narrative is shifting slowly into a culture of where it's cool to be psychopathic. You know, it's it's cool to to. Be unempathetic to people you don't care about. It's cool to be unempathetic to everyone that does not agree with you. Why do you think the polarization and people are are in in the young are are pulling suicides at the ages of 10 and up nowadays? You know, we're losing faith and hope within ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we really are. Um, Now, I'm going to get back into it. She was driving down North 30th Street when she saw Carter slam slammed to the ground. The witness said she parked the car uh, curb and started recording on the video, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, uh, of course, we're, of course, the video that you're uh, that you're seeing is uh, the video that um, was played, guys. Uh, I don't want to play audio to it, but you know what I mean. This is uh, what was shown. Um, now you can see. Now, now, obviously, I don't agree with you know the, the two officers. You know what I mean? Kind of. Uh, being aggressive with that lady, I don't know why, why didn't it take one officer. Um, but these men are not perfect. These men, the men and the women that are part of the police forces, they're not perfect. So while you're watching this video, um, I, and I'm not, and I'm not justifying uh, the aggressive nature that they did take. Okay, I'm not justifying that at all. But if 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 your thing, if you put yourself in their shoes, okay, they are they have targets, heavy targets on their backs every single day and that's because everyone is trying to look out to make the police out to be something that they're not so if you're watching this video right now i want you to always keep in mind and once again i'm not and once again i'm not advocating for this type of a behavior at all i'm i'm make sure i'm going to make sure i said that again i'm not advocating for this type of behavior at all but what i will say is i wonder how they felt they can't even stop a lady a known heroin addict by the way a lady just from talking to her 
And, uh, and by the way, uh, they originally did not want to. Uh, they originally weren't going to take her take her to the police cruiser. They were. Um, uh, uh, police reports showed that um, they, uh, uh, you know, they uh, would try to go up to her to have an original uh, to have a conversation with her. And uh, well, that slowly went downhill when she uh, when she herself became aggressive with the police officers. And once again, I am not saying that they get that this gives justification for the aggressive nature that these officers uh, had during the moment. But, you know, I, I just, I'm just saying, guys, you know what I mean? Stop, stop letting the mainstream media, stop letting them polarize us. And I honestly mean that, you know what I mean? Uh, but I want to get to this, uh, another, the other inmate that was, that uh, ran away. Um, now, um, this is uh, this is uh, um, uh, just I'm, gonna, I'm just going to run down, okay? I'm going to give you as a rundown uh, at least uh, we'll, we'll do we'll do during the last seven days. So, missing inmates arrested at the scene of a uh, fire in Omaha. An inmate that was missing from the Community Correction Service, uh, Service Omaha is in custody now at the Douglas County Correction Center, although he is now missing again. Omaha inmate uh, another uh, missing. Uh, and this is an inmate you're seeing on screen. This is the guy that is remissing uh, remissing Monday, um, and and another inmate, uh, another Omaha inmate is uh, missing from the community correctional facility, uh, Tyler Williams, and this is the most recent inmate that is uh, missing right now. And this guy and uh, this inmate has been caught, and uh, and is and is is now back in uh, back in the custody. Um, uh, uh, thank God. But I believe there's one more. Excuse me while I uh, bring this up, ladies and gentlemen. Doing a little typing. Because I did. I, I literally just saw this um, not even a, a day ago. So, yeah. Um, so, another inmate uh, that walked out um, is now, is now uh, was found on July 4th, Wednesday, according to the Nebraska Department of Corrections. John Strickland was found uh, by Department of Corrections Service. Uh, servicing staff member in the area of 16th and Farnham Streets in the Omaha area. Nebraska Department of Corrections said the 50-year-old did not have permission to leave the facility and also removed his tracking device near 42nd and Cumming Streets. Strickland is serving three years on charges in Hall County, including terrorist threats and criminal mischief. He is set to release in January 2023. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if he made. I wonder if he made a social media post, and they're like, "Let's go erase uh, arrest this terrorist." You know, um, that seems to be the um, that seems to be the uh, narrative nowadays. You know what I'm saying? But of course, like I said, uh, stated, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to get into uh, the medical marijuana push that is uh, being that is that is being instigated uh, right here in the Omaha, Nebraska area. What I mean by that is. We have certain senators that are gaslighting the young and the public. They are telling them lies about Delta 8, THC. They're not telling them the reality of the medical industry, the medical industry that they want to bring in, which is owned by uh, some of the biggest pharmaceutical uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world, in America. Purdue Pharma, uh, Purdue Pharma is just one of them. Uh, Moderna is another one of them. Guys, they they are heavily embedded in these in the medical marijuana industry because. If the elites cannot make money off of it, they will destroy it. Now, I want you to listen very closely to what I said. I said if the elites cannot make money off of it, then they will destroy it. 
I never said that they will hold on to it and not do anything with it, like they're doing with the medical marijuana medical marijuana industry. Why do you think they've kept the uh, you know the legalization medical marijuana of medical marijuana at somewhat of the forefront all throughout the seventies and in the eighties and the nineties? Because even these pharmaceutical companies knew that there's just a way we can monopolize marijuana. Then we can control it and we can consolidate it and uh, we can, uh, uh, you know, turn it into something that it is not. And that's exactly why I'm in my third hour. I'm going to be uh, focusing solely on Delta in the in the in the um, extreme dangers of the pharma medical marijuana industry, guys. All right. So uh, that's going to bring me into the end of this podcast. And of course, we're going to follow back up with um, uh, the medical marijuana industry, ladies and gentlemen. That's in, that'll be in our uh, third and possibly fourth hour, man. This might be a very long broadcast, but either way it goes, ladies and gentlemen, always keep in mind, if you're wondering where all of our updated information is, I'd advise every single one of you to go uh, listen to our podcast on uh, gun history, guys. I went into detail on, um, on gun history, on gun control, on gun reform. I went into various details. I advise everyone to go listen to that podcast, man, because uh, I work very, very hard on that, and it's got a lot of key information going all the way back to 1640, by the way. All right, so I went all the way, all the way back. Um, but um, that being said, holy um, auto unfocus. Um, that being said, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, that's that's going to bring me to the end of this segment, and then we're going to follow up with the medical mar- uh, medical marijuana industry in the next hour, guys. Uh, Subliminal Message Studios, all one word. Anchor and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, please donate if you can, guys. I really appreciate it. We'll see you out there. In Revelation six, the scripture describes what is going to happen. And the people screamed and they cried and they cried to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the orge, the wrath of God and of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath is coming. Who shall be able to stand? He's talking about Armageddon. He's talking about the great judgment that is coming upon the earth unless we repent of our sins and turn to God. Welcome to Subliminal Message Studios, ladies and gentlemen, and I am your host, Benjamin Leonardo Jacobs. Thank you very much for joining uh, joining me 
Um, uh, here at Subliminal Message Studios, we uh, expose and fight the secret societies using historical knowledge and Christian values that I think we all should hold dear, ladies and gentlemen. And during our first and second hour, I uh, brought up the, um, the Franklin cover-up or the conspiracy of silence. And I think that has great significance to so remember that case, the officers that were gunned down, the people that were killed, and the people that uh, were sent off to prison at a maximum amount of time for simply telling the truth. And um, we're also trying to cover a little bit of uh, um, uh, a little bit of local news here in our uh, local area, guys. But I do, I, I really, really want to get to this uh, uh, Delta Eight debacle, you know, to this legal marijuana push that's uh, going on right here in the state of Nebraska. I'm telling you right now, the senators, and I've I've, I've literally called out the senators every single time. Um, one of them being Senator Weisshart. She's completely she is paid off by Big Farmer. You can actually go on uh, the lobbyist webpage where it shows all the lobbyists that paid the senators and stuff like that. And lo and behold, yeah, Big Pharma made a good, a good, good uh, amount of payment to uh, Senator Weishart. You wonder why it's because she is in the middle of pushing Big Pharma marijuana. But um, uh, here at Subliminal Master Studios, I guess you could say we cover all the conspiracy theories. Well, we all remember 9-11 and stuff like that. What we probably don't remember is uh, what happened a little over a month after 9-11, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, in October 2001, uh, 2001. I'm going to be with my Mike Tyson voice real quick. In October 2001, Jesus, <laughs> explosives, uh, explosives sufficient to level the entire building were found in a locker at the Greyhound bus terminal in Philadelphia. Despite a massive investigation at the time and wall-to-wall media coverage, this story is seemingly disappearing. Now, I'm going to break this whole thing down for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very, very short little thing. Um, if you haven't heard about this, well, then I advise you. I'm going to put the link in the description so you can actually go look up the videos and look up the transcriptions for yourself. So on a September 29th, 2001, someone checked a suitcase into a locker at the Center City Greyhound Terminal in Philly. Since the time expired, the item was removed on October 3rd and placed in storage. It was opened a couple weeks ago later, a couple weeks later, and found to contain a block of military-grade C4 plastic explosive and a thousand feet of blasting cord. Coming just over a month after 9-11, this was a huge all-day media coverage type of story. Now, investigators at the time said the explosive could only have come from military. They're saying at the time was likely stolen, and there was speculation that the unnecessary amount of blasting cord indicated that the C4 was probably a small part of a much larger cache, uh, much larger cache, which they're absolutely right. Uh, what they were not catching on to is they already used that much larger cache, and they simply just found the leftovers. But anyways, the whole alphabet soup of it investigate, uh, investigative agencies where it was involved, and they were confident that they'd be able to identify the source of the explosive by its markers within days. And then, ladies and gentlemen, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, uh, I mean, literally all day, all day coverage from October, uh, late, late October 2001, and then nothing. They uh, no follow up with the investigation, nothing on Google or anything like that. Nothing is known. What I am calling for is an open investigation back into that, so we can find out 
What happened to that C4? Where did that C4 come from? Why was there so much blasting cord there? Who checked that C4 into there? How the heck did they get it into that train station amongst all the bomb dogs that are constantly around that train station? Oh, if I forget, there's no bomb dogs in, uh, in, in that train station in Philly. People are able to get raped, stabbed, shot. While good citizens, well, they're the ones that are getting raped, stabbed, shot. But nevertheless... I am uh, calling for uh, an investigation back into this, ladies and gentlemen. So, getting into uh, Delta, guys, I want to start with uh, uh, five main things, ladies and gentlemen. And I have a few clips I want to get to, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but I want to get to five main things that you probably don't know uh, about Delta. Uh, Delta. One of them uh, is uh, Delta uh, THC products have uh, not been evaluated or approved by the FDA for safe use, and uh, they may be marketed in ways that put the public at a health uh, at a health risk. So let me go into that. The FDA is aware of the growing concerns surrounding Delta THC products currently being sold online and in stores. These products have not been evaluated or approved by the FDA for safe use and in context. Since you know everyone wants to get all you know what I mean. Well, if it's not approved by the FDA, well. Just saying, some concerns include variability in product formulations and product labeling, other cannabinoid or terpene content, and variable delta-8 THC concentrations. Additionally, some of these products may be labeled simply as hemp products, which may mislead consumers who associate hemp with non-psychoactive. Furthermore, the FDA is concerned by the prolific, uh, prolification of products that contain Delta-8 THC and are marketed by the therapeutic or medical uses, although they have not been approved by the FDA, selling unapproved products with sustainable therapeutic claims is not only a violation of federal law, but also can be consumer, put consumers at risk. All of these products have not been proven to be safe or effective. These deceptive marketers of, of, of unproven treatments raises significant public health concerns because patients and other consumers may use them instead of approved therapies to treat serious and even fatal diseases. <clears throat> oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you think I'm lying about the FDA not approving them, um, I want to go to this uh, clip, uh, clip, if you will, right now. Just give me a second, and let's go to it now. So you don't really know what you're going to get. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't need to lie about any of this. And it's not that I'm. I'm against marijuana. I do believe that there's a lot of things. I don't think most people even know why marijuana even was banned in banned in America. I'm guessing a lot of people think it was banned because the corporations, man, no, it was banned because of the logging companies. They were the first ones that wanted to put a ban into um, uh, marijuana because of the damage, or what they said was the damage that um, the hemp plant would cause. A lot of people don't understand that. They think they could just... Smoking it is all that marijuana is good for. Believe me, the hemp is very... The hemp, the hemp, uh, the, you know, the flower, the plant itself is a very, 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 very strong plant. There is so many different things that you could do to it. And if we grew it ourselves, uh, maybe this would be different. But Senator Weishart is running this gaslighting campaign of lying to the youth, of pushing this big pharma medical industry, and I'm not going to allow her to do it. 
So I'm willing to, and this is why I'm going to stay focused, and I'm going to say on the facts. These are all facts. I don't need to lie about any of this shit, okay? And I don't care who's going to call me crazy. You know what? <laughs> I am crazy. <laughs> you know, just, you know, yeah, right? Whatever. I am yeah, crazy. Uh, you guys caught me, right? You guys caught, you guys caught me. I'm crazy. Yes. Yeah, I should do. I should do the Joker voice. What's his name? Keith Ledger. Is his name Keith Ledger? It's Keith Ledger. It's Keith Ledger, isn't it? I swear, I'm not doing it on live. All right. So, anyways, okay. So, guys, this is another fact. Uh, the FDA has received adverse event event reports involving Delta 8 THC containing products. Uh, containing products. Oh, yeah, listen to this, guys. Now, the FDA received over 104 reports of adverse events in patients who consumed Delta-8 THC products between December 1st, 2020 and February 28th of 2022. One of these uh, 104 adverse event reports, 77% involved um, uh, adults, 8% involved uh, pediatric uh, pediatrician patients less than 18 years of age and 15% did not report the age. Now, 55% required intervention um, or hospital admission, meaning that 55% that required, that needed that needed um, uh, medical evaluation, they opted in to take these uh, THC Delta-8 cartridges and they failed. 66 Percent described adverse events after ingestion of Delta 8 THC containing food products, uh, brownies, gummies, etc. Um, adverse events included all, but and this is and this is the bombshell right here, ladies and gentlemen. These adverse included all and not limited to. Now think about the shootings that are going on right now. Thinking about the shootings, come on, think real hard. Uh, this we have to critical. Uh, we have to critically think here. Hallucinogens. Vomiting, tremors, anxiety, suicide, dizziness, confusion, and listen to this, a loss of consciousness. Like the right, the consciousness, your, your, your ideas of right and wrong are no longer there, ladies and gentlemen. These are all the adverse events. It's like SDI pills right now. Why is it that we continue... I mean, it's not like, like we can't. It's not like we can't go back to a case not too long ago. If you haven't realized, back not too long ago, when oxycontin was a big thing, and those of you youngins that don't know about oxycontin, just look it up. Just look up Little White and all the great songs that he made about oxycontin. By the way, he's dead now. Um, but just think about a pharmaceutical company that created oxycontin directly, and David Sackler. David Richard Sacker, the creator of Oxycontin, made many statements knowing full well it's addictive, knowing full well that if you take too many, it will kill. Over 100,000 people reported uh, reported to be di- dead from Oxycontin before Congress decided, all right, well, you know what, how about we just put them on a phone call? That's right, all the victims during the trial... All the victims that wanted to talk to him directly, uh, David Sackler told our Supreme Court, no, you ain't doing, we're not, I'm not showing up, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to take a phone call. So anyways, back to the pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, Delta 8, this is number three. Delta 8, THC, has psychoactive and psychotropic psychotropic and intoxicating effects. Obviously, um, intoxicating, uh, you could obviously wipe that off because intoxicating, by the definition, you can say uh, drinking too much coffee and you're over jittery, you're intoxicated. And that, I don't mean that. Uh, 
if uh, you get pulled over by a police officer and you literally look like you're high off of cocaine, which technically you are, and the officer uh, asks you, you know, what have you been drinking? You say coffee, and you know, uh, he could deem you, you know, uh, intoxicated. This, I'm, I'm not lying about this. You ask now, now, will they do it? Will they do it? No, you know what I mean. But they can. Yeah, we can deem you intoxicated. <laughs> I don't mean, you know, ask ask a cop. Ask a cop. Just ask him. Go ahead. I want to. I want to see it. Now, um, uh, Delta 8 THC has uh, psychoactive and psychotropic um, effects, similar to uh, Delta 9 THC, but not way similar to Delta 9 H- THC. Component responsible for the high people may experience from using cannabis. Um, uh, the FDA is aware of media reports of Delta 8 THC products getting consumers high. However, the FDA is also concerned that Delta 8 and THC products likely expose consumers to much higher levels of substance that are naturally occurring in hemp cannabis raw extracts, meaning the synthetic processes. Thus, historical use of cannabis cannot be relied upon in establishing a level of safety for these products in humans. Meaning they can't, um, and I want to get to another clip, ladies and gentlemen, meaning they literally are doing, they're literally in the mixture right now of finding out the ramifications and the effects and the adverse events caused by the uh, uh, by some of the products that they are putting in to Delta 8 THC into CPD and stuff like that. A- Aesthetic acid is just one of the heavy, heavy markups that they include into those cartridges. And acetic acid, you want to look up? Yeah, that's very, very dangerous. It gives you popcorn lung. It can literally kill you on demand because it stops your breath and all sorts of other types of ill shit. But I want to get to another clip, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Excuse me while I find it. Uh, and this is just that much more telling, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to switch the cameras and let's go to it now, okay? And you all may wonder why the deciding or making it synthetically to add the, the amount of delta in the sense that a human being had to make it from CBD. Okay, okay. Really it's not a synthetic sense that it's wholly man made, but it's made from a product that naturally occurs in a high CBD cannabis variety. You hear what she just said? So it's wholly, it's wholly man made. So, uh, and this, and these are for people, and if anyone thinks I'm just making, like, like, you know, I'm just picking people that are against marijuana. No, these are, these are people that are for marijuana. They're for the medical industry. It's just they cannot lie on the Senate, so they have to tell the truth. Yes, it's wholly man-made. The only thing, the only thing we really, really, really do is we extract maybe one percent of the THC molecule that's delta nine, and we extract that, and then we add different preservative, preservatives such as acetic acid, um, uh, different. And, and I'm going to get to the rest of them here in a second, ladies and gentlemen. But all different types of contaminants now being linked to cause psycho, uh, psychoactive, and psychotropic, and um, what, what, what else? Uh, what? Were the other ones? I, I apologize because I don't want it to get taken out of context. Um, hallucinogens, vomiting, tremors, anxiety, dizziness, confusion, and loss of consciousness. And if we think about these, you know, the uh, the, the shooters that are that are that seem to be just happening almost every single day. Well, listen, we really have to start looking at your pill bottle and then looking at hmm. Causes suicide thoughts, depression, mass shootings at school, huh? 
Xanax. Why is this legal? Hmm. Like, come on. Like, what are we, I mean, and it's not conspiracy theory when they have it on the freaking pill. And then, and then, and then we have Senator Weissart telling me, at, having all their little buddies go on Twitter acting like I'm fucking crazy when the fucking Senate are having fucking meetings about the adverse events right here. The fuck. Yeah, I'm getting into some more, but I'm going to get into another clip, but I want to listen to this, though. National Poison Control Centers received 2,362 exposure cases of Delta 8 THC products between January 1st, 2021 and February 28th, 2022. Of the 2,362 exposure cases, 58, uh, 58% uh, involved adults, 41% involved pediatric, uh, pediatrician patients less than 18 years of age, and 1% uh, did not report age. 40% involved unintentional exposure to Delta-8 THC, and 82% of these unintentional exposures affected pediatric patients. 70% required healthcare facility evaluation, of which 8% resulted in admission to a critical care unit. 45% of patients requiring healthcare facility evaluation were pediatric patients. One pediatric case was coded with a medical outcome of death. So, and that's not marijuana that's doing it, ladies and gentlemen. That is not marijuana that's doing that. Okay, like that's not that's not what's happening here, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize for leaving it on that screen. I'm just now realizing that too. But um, that's not that's not what's happening here at all. And I want to get to another clip. Um, excuse me while I uh, run through it one more time. What was that twenty six? Okay. All right. So I want to get I want to get to this clip. I'm, I'm probably backing it up a little more than I probably need to, guys. But I want to get to this another one of these clips right now. And then I have about about a three minute clip of another of of Liz Brown testifying about Delta Eight and the adverse events about that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's let's get to this right now. Bounty cannabis. 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 When it, when it comes, comes to cannabis, all cannabinoids, and indeed almost all compounds with biochemical effects are produced catalytically within, within the plants themselves. Truly, the author's intent is not man's reactions within the plants. Um, this, this goes hand in hand with my next comment that has to do with intoxicating effect. As proven time and time again, technically intoxicating effects are just a entire an entire thing to be thrown in the air because you can't prove what is intoxicating one person versus what is to another person. So, in other words, it's non-quantifiable, unenforceable, and is widely open to abuse by the department and law enforcement agencies, seeing as how they determine any product has an intoxicating effect. Yeah. So, we'll see how that one goes, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, excuse me one more time. Um, I have another clip. I have another clip that I want. I want to go to because this clip by uh, Liz Brown is that much more just that much more detailing. Okay, guys, and I'm gonna let I'm gonna let her talk. It's about a three minute and twelve second clip, but I'm gonna let her talk all the way through. But I'm gonna get back to uh, back to this, guys. So Delta Eight THC products often involve use of potentially harmful chemicals to create the concentrate of Delta Eight THC claimed in the marketplace. That's right. Some manufacturers may use potential unsafe household chemicals to make Delta Eight. THC through this chemical synthesis process. Additional chemicals may be used to change the color of the final product. 
The final Delta-8 THC products may be potentially harmful by products contaminants due to the chemicals used in the process, and there is uncertainty with respect to other potential contaminants that may be present or produced depending on the com- on the composition of uh, the starting raw material. If consumed or inhaled, these chemicals, including some used to make synthetic Delta-8 synthetic Delta-8 THC, and the byproducts creating during synthesis, synthesis can be harmful. Manufacturers of Delta-8 THC products may occur in an uncontrolled or unsanitary settings, which may lead to the presence of unsafe contaminants or other potentially harmful substances. Now, this is number, uh, I'm going to get more to this, guys. Delta-8 THC products should be kept out of the reach of children or pets. Manufacturers are packaging and labeling these products in ways that may appeal to children. Many children have induced these products, and we have one child that has died from uh, and um, um, swallowing uh, Delta, um, I can't. It's not saying what uh, Delta product. Now these products may be purchased online, as well as at a variety of retailers, including convenience stores and gas stations, where they might not be age limits. But who can purchase these products? As discussed above, there have been numerous poison control center alerts involving pediatric patients who were exposed to Delta THC contaminant pro- uh, containing products. Additionally, animal poison control centers have indicated a sharp overall increase in accidental exposure of pets to these products. Keep these products away from your children and pets, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, this is uh, this is uh, uh, why uh, this is why the FDA is notifying the public about uh, Delta A THC. Now, first of all, there's an uptick in adverse event reports to the FDA and the nation's poison control centers. Marketing, including online marketing of products, this is appeal to children. Concern regarding contamination due to methods of manufacturing that may in some cases be used to produce marketing Delta 8 THC products. Now, the FDA is actively working with federal and state partners to further address the concerns related to these products and monitoring the market of product complaints, adverse events, and other emerging cannabis-derived products of potential concern. The FDA will warn consumers about public health and safety issues and take action when necessary when FDA regulators' products violate the law. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get to this um, uh, another clip, guys. Like I said, it's about a three minute and uh, twelve second clip. But I want to get to this, ladies and gentlemen, for all the reasons why I'm going to uh, get uh, for all the reasons why I want to stop. And it's not and like like I said, it's not that um, I'm against uh, Delta itself. That's that's not the that's not the case at all, ladies and gentlemen. What I'm against is gaslighting and lying to the public about the actual uh, actual adverse events of this Delta 8 product and actually lying to the youth uh, how uh, uh, and lying to the doctors around here on the potential and how good and great it actually is. It is not good and great. It is literally changed and altered to create more problems for when the for when the uh, for when the victim now uh, uh, of Delta 8 goes in to get treated by an actual doctor, ladies and gentlemen. So it's not that I'm against, you know, a, a marijuana. That's not the case at all. So like I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I, I want to get to this clip of uh, Liz Brown uh, discussing the, uh, the adverse events of uh, Delta 8, guys. So let's uh, play this now. 
Sometimes when we pass bills here with the best intentions, we have unintended consequences. Typically, though, they're not as tragic as the consequences of the bill when we pass uh, CBD point, no more than 0.3 THC percent. Many of you may know that a, an IU student was brutally attacked by another fellow student allegedly high on uh, some gummies that he thought were benign that he could take to sleep. When we allowed CBD products to be sold in Indiana, we thought we were legalizing almost childlike product. This was supposed to be allowing a product to be sold without the addictive, dangerous side effects of today's marijuana, which that's not the case. Today in Indiana, a dangerous product is being sold to everyone. There's no guarantee when you buy these Delta 8, Delta 9 gummies, or Skittles, or candy bars, or whatever form they're being sold in, that you're just getting an easy way to take a nap. Go again and ask that a young IU co-ed was attacked. If you thought you really knew what we were going to pass, then so we should think twice about it. You look at the drugs of the past, PCP, FLACA, and other extreme hallucinogenics. A few years ago, the state of Indiana, unfortunately, was at the epicenter of the opioid crisis. And we passed significant, drastic changes to our laws to curb that. The epicenter is Scott County. I was on city council years ago when we banned K2 Spice. We could only enact a $2,500 civil penalty until this body banned it. And we banned all the other chemical permutations and isomers of that. Because in my community, some version of that was being sold everywhere, particularly in the convenience stores in the parts of town who faced significant socio and economic issues and hardships. Foreign immigrants. And it was targeted, yep, targeted to everyone. Again, a product that you say there, what? I'm going to play that again, hold on. And hardships. They were targeted. And it was targeted to everyone. Again, a product that had no age limits or limitations on it. Today, this amendment fixes the tragic unintended consequences when we passed the CBD bill a few years ago. The tragic unintended consequences that resulted in a young woman being brutally attacked. I appreciate your support for this amendment. And if we don't pass this amendment, the next attack could possibly be our own responsibility. So please. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, I mean, and this is the reality of Delta Eight, guys. Like I said, it's not—it's not that I am against uh, medical marijuana or the use of medical war, uh, marijuana. That's this has nothing literally to do with it. It's—it's—it's it's, it's bec- it's because of what's in the legislation, like especially right here in the state of Nebraska. If you look at this—if uh, you look at what's in the state of—if uh, if you look at what's in the legislation that Senator Weishart is um, uh, running through, it all. It all remains up to the state. We as a people have no say in if we want to grow our own plants. Naturally, nothing of that matter is in there. It's all big far it's all a big pharmaceutical push. And the companies that are gonna be in charge of it, yeah, they're gonna be the same ones that are gonna be pushing pills left and right. So are we really, really bringing like the uh, marijuana industry into the state of Nebraska? Or are we just helping big pharma make more and more and more money? Because how many more clips do I have to go through 
it's not just and, and let's face facts the fda is basically just a, a stamp for the pharmaceutical companies that's why they're trying that's why they're um, that's why they're going through the notions of pushing it through in all these different states and stuff like that meanwhile people are going into freaking schools they're getting the shootouts with police you know what i mean and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, this has everything to do with it, but holy Lord, we still don't know about the events, or we still don't know about the real adverse events coming from Delta THC, ladies and gentlemen, and the, and the adverse events that we see right now causes hallucinogens, vomiting, tremors, anxiety, makes our anxiety go skyrocket. If you smoke regular marijuana, none of that stuff happens. I have never seen someone smoke a joint and then look at their friend and say, man, you want to go rob a bank? You want to to do it? I've never once seen that. I've seen them look at their friend like and like be just overly chubby and be like, you want to go to pizza? After you guys ordered pizza? Like, no, no, I don't want to go to pizza after we already ordered pizza. It's nothing to do with, just never mind. That's... I guess what I'm trying to say is, ladies and gentlemen, is we need to dig. Uh, we need, if we are going to pass uh, medical marijuana, guys, then we need to do it in the right way. We need to leave it. We need to put it in the people's hands. And what Senator Weishart is offering us is big pharma taking completely control. And the same thing they did in California with the with uh, Del, with with um, uh, Delta A and the THC and CPD and all that. All we're going to do is allow Big Pharma to gain bigger control, monopolize the medical marijuana industry to where the only time, to where you will never, ever be getting any marijuana that's actually real. All this, all the marijuana that we're going to start getting is all going to be Delta A. It's going to be giving us hallucinogens, and then, and then that's when... All the politicians, all the politicians that still actually believe that marijuana, you know, kills people and shit like that, that's when they can come in and be like, I told you, marijuana doesn't kill people and stuff like this. No, 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 it's not, it's not marijuana, it's not weed, it's not natural weed, it's this pharmaceutical, it's this pharmaceutical pushing marijuana industry that is cultivating and is slicing the genetic and the molecules and by the way, there's over 100 different molecules in the T- in THC, okay? They're just extracting the one, DA, the one compound, and then they're adding in every single thing else, ladies and gentlemen. And some of the compounds, we still don't know about. Like, some, some of them, we have no idea about. Bob, just, just to give you guys just some uh, things, some... Uh, um, studies that have been done, uh, for example, on a, on a study of micro revealed a reduction uh, a reduction in tumor growth, as well as a dose dependent and inhibitation. In addition, delta eight was administered and caused these effects even worse. This is one study that came out of uh, um, uh, what's this? Oh, come on, seriously. Right when I actually go back to the actual study, too. Um, Arizona University. I'm very, very sorry. Uh, sorry about that. But, guys, if you, don't, if you think that Delta A is a safe product, I am telling you right now, there is, there is true, true uh, great um, uh, things that can happen with marijuana, but I am telling you right now, leaving it up to the state is not one of them. If we pass... 
medical marijuana. It's not medical marijuana. If we pass medical pharmaceutical pharmaceutical marijuana in the state of Nebraska, we're going to get the same thing that California and Colorado is getting, where they suffocate all the THC um, stores right into the impoverished neighborhoods, and then they start seducing those, just like they do with alcohol stores, just like they do with gun stores in impoverished neighborhoods. They're going to start seducing them into using them to kill each other. Now you add on to all these extra preservatives that they're putting in there, like acidic acid, like uh, um, it causes euphoria, and it does the exact opposite of what it's of what it's actually supposed to be made to do, ladies and gentlemen. And it's and this isn't the first time where we've had you know we've we've had um, a sentence whole briefings about the adverse events of Delta Eight, ladies and gentlemen. And once again, I'm not uh, uh, this isn't a slam against Delta Eight. I don't I really really don't mind if you smoke weed or not. That's I've I've rather have people smoking weed than drinking alcohol. Okay. What are you going to do when you when you smoke weed and, and, and drive a car? You go real, real slow. You drink alcohol, man. That's going to get you into some other things. But um, so this is so this is back in uh, 2018. Uh, now Delta THC, uh, although it didn't specifically address Delta THC, the 2018 U.S. firm bill effectively legalized it through a loophole that allowed the sale of hemp derived Delta eight THC products and where areas recreational use of cannabis were prohibited or was prohibited as well as the medical marijuana required medical uh, medical authorization by late 2020 delta ATC had exploded in popularity now ladies and gentlemen now the research team just published two papers based on their survey of more than 500 participants experiencing experiences with delta ATC and as compared to cannabis and as and it has compared it to regular cannabis the words of one user best described the overarching views shared by survey participants is that Delta 8 sucks and Delta 9 is way better. So, and this is uh, this is a study by the Journal of Cannabis Research, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, this is the largest study to date on users' experiences with Delta 8. The findings have been published over two papers, one that appears in Cannabis and Cannabis Research, the top peer-reviewed journal in the field, and another just published paper in the Open Access Journal Cannabis Research, which is where I'm getting uh, reading this off from. So Delta 8 THC, ladies and gentlemen, there's I, there's no way of knowing exactly what exactly what they're putting in it. What we do know now is they are putting heavy amounts of acidic acid. They're putting heavy amounts of uh, silicon gland or um, uh, stuff that causes euphoria, hallucinogens. Um, a lot of the a lot of the things that they add into is uh, stuff that your body already makes. You know, such as you know what I mean. Like if you're if you have high anxiety. Then they add that into that. They add that into these cartridges. It's a sham. Like I, when I, as far as I'm concerned, if you are going to, uh, you know, you know, smoke, smoke, smoke weed, then smoke weed. But stop. But we need to get straight on what Delta A is actually causing the people. And after and after I went through these statistics, ladies and gentlemen, I think we can all all confirm that not only has the FDA not approved. What is going on with the Delta Eight cartridges or the Delta or CPD or any of that? But they know that there's more vast, uh, more and more adverse events happening, more and more. Not only that, you know, dogs are eating it and pets are eating it, and they're you know having having effects, obviously, and stuff like that. But um, it's hurting them, and that's the difference. 
you know, and, and if we don't stop the medical, the medical pharmaceutical industries taking over marijuana as an industry as a whole right now, then believe me, people smoking this Delta eight car, these Delta eight cartridges, they're going to keep on getting these solutions. And this is going to go even further if they're on some other type of pill. Like the biggest drug dealers till this day have been the pharmaceutical companies, and they've been doing it legally. Hundreds and thousands of people. There's almost 500 different types of depressants right here in America, just on depressed on on the, on depre- being depressed. Over 500 different ones, and that's just getting started. If you bring up anxiety, there's almost over 20,000 different pills on the market just for anxiety. These are cartels, ladies and gentlemen. While our police force, unfortunately, are trained to go after and impoverish us and keep us locked down like you know, good little slaves we should be. I'm telling you right now that not only should the Franklin cover-up should be uh, uh, reinstituted in, in, into court, people should reinvestigate it, but I think the, the officers that were slain in that, I think we need to investigate more into Delta 8 cartridges because most people nowadays, they have some type of pen and they're smoking a Delta 8 cartridges. That's causing hallucinogens, tremors, it's up in their anxiety. As a matter of fact, I want to I do a video. I'm going to go around and uh, do a video of how many people have a, have a, a Delta 8 pen and that are smoking Delta 8 and ask them, ask them how, uh, how they feel about it. Now, a lot of people do like it. And I'm not shunning it all the way, ladies and gentlemen, um, um, all the way. Um, but I'm definitely not for Senator Reishart lying to the people of Omaha and telling them that it's safe and effective. Okay? You want to tell me it's safe and effective when they're having fucking senator hearings on it? When they're talking about the fucking adverse effects to it? And then you want to tell me I'm fucking crazy? You want to tell me I'm crazy when right on the New uh, on Nebraska's lobbyist page, your name is right under some of the most biggest pharmaceutical companies. Why would it be under America, under like, you know what I mean, some Uncle Tom that's just growing this shit in his backyard, some farmer that's just growing it out? No, it's not being done by some farmer. It's being done by some scientists that are cultivating the Delta 9 plant, or the plant of marijuana, taking, extracting the, out of the 100 compounds that uh, TH, the THC molecule has in it, and extracting the one molecule that will cause more adverse events. These people are sick as hell, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I mean, these these people are sick as hell. Their minds are through the fucking roof. Excuse my language. We're going over Spotify with that segment right now. We're going to have to do that a couple times. Um, but... <laughs> Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, getting, but uh, this is going to bring me to the end of this uh, uh, broadcast. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. I really do truly uh, appreciate it. And everything that you guys do um, uh, from uh, the day of uh, Subliminal Message Studios has started all the way up until the point it is now. I truly do appreciate it. If you're looking for all of our updated information, ladies and gentlemen, follow me on Anchor or Spotify, uh, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And donate if you can as well, ladies and gentlemen. Either way it goes, I do truly appreciate it. Subliminal Message Studios and Bandot Video all the way. We are heading. And if any of you guys think um, that I'm not all the way into this, let me tell you something. I've been banned six times. I used to have almost 500,000 subscribers on YouTube before they booted me off. I've been banned over six times, guys. They're not keeping me down. I'm going to continue to speak out. Let the Nebraska people know the truth. 
unbiased of whether it's left or right, ladies and gentlemen. That's not how I operate. Subliminal Message Studios fights the secret societies, exposes the New World Order, all right, using historical knowledge and using Christian values. And like I said, I truthfully believe that everyone should participate in so that being said ladies and gentlemen always remember it's not your job to be nice to everyone but it is your job to stay kind it's not your job to accept everything but it is your job to tolerate some things so stay armed stay strong and i'll see you out there ladies and gentlemen